right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, another joyous Sunday evening in the Solomon household. Hannah made uh, chicken piccata, uh, lemon piccata, meatball, something, angel hair pasta. It was incredible. Just a celebratory night here. I'm going to have a beverage as we go through. Big tones, not one, not two, not three, not four, but fifth PGA Tour win. Joining us, of course, had to call him in from the bullpen, Mr. DJ Pie. Hello, Pie Man. Solly, great to be with you to talk about what is surely, I would say, I don't think it's overstating to say the most momentous win in PJ Tour history today. Tony wow. Finau at the Houston Open. Unbelievable, say that. unbelievable stuff. I wasn't going to go that far, but appreciate you uh, willing to do that. And here as well, straddling the middle of this argument, <laughs> not choosing sides at all, always been totally fair to both sides. Mr. TC, hello, TC. Yeah, as people know, Randy's on a silent retreat this weekend for Big Tone to, to win uh, you know, against the field of plumbers and firemen uh, is, is I, I, I think, a little bit weak. Hold, you got to be really careful, TC. You got to be really careful tonight. It's going to be a tough one for you to navigate the Finau Fleetwood conundrum tonight. You got to be really careful is all I'm going to say. I mean, he, he beat a big dick player in uh, Alex Noren there, T4 for Alex Noren. But, you know, Alex Smalley, Ben Taylor, Taylor things, things of that, of that nature. nature. Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, it was it was a huge week for us Alex Norton fans, if I may say. First of all, he made a guest appearance on episode three of Taurus Sauce, uh, where he agreed with everything I ever said about him. I feel like it was kind of an underrated storyline uh, of that episode. Very much a theme going on of like all these like all this justification I thought I would feel. I really don't feel when these moments do happen. Uh, he shot at the leaderboard at the Houston Open. Before any of that, though, we spent some time with him actually out in Phoenix. I got to see one of the best pros in the world. Work, uh, you know, pick their brains. We got to see them work on their crafts. And I witnessed a ball striking exhibition from Alex Noren that revitalized my soul. I don't want to spoil too much of the video because uh, it'll be on Callaway's channels. But watching Noren smoke fairway woods at over 170 miles an hour and shape them low draw, high draw, low fade, high fade, whatever way he wanted to. I just didn't don't think I realized he had that much speed. I know he can hit the ball, but I did not know he had that much speed. He was doing it. Uh, with some of the new stuff, so uh, some of the new fairway woods that we can't talk about yet, but I can tell you about the Rogue ST3 wood. I've got the Rogue ST LS, an added perk that we have given to this club this year, the No Laying Up branded Callaway Rogue ST3 wood head cover. TC and Neil feeling nostalgic for the glory days of high school golf where they had the big, the big birth of fuzzy head covers when they were all the rage. Haven't seen them in years, so we made our own with Callaway, and you can get it for free when you buy a Rogue ST3 wood on the Callaway website. Again, callawaygolf.com. Pick and customize your Rogue ST3 wood. And on the order, order summary page, the first page of checkout, you can enter code NLU to add the head cover for free. How about that deal? So callawaygolf.com, Rogue ST3 wood. Code NLU at checkout, and you'll get a head cover added for free. Massive, massive spot for the three wood coming up here in episode four of uh, Taurus Sauce. <laughs> A couple of def defining moments, I believe, yeah. as they're called out in the episode. Some of those Noren shots you're you're talking about just sounds like somebody who is just mired uh, playing just a shit golf hole, number six at Visby. Uh, he's got to carve all these three woods from the trees, from the beach, from all the places that there are to miss on that on that golf hole. But we can we don't have to relitigate that. Well, well, I mean, I think it sounds like we're you know a we're talking about a, a once and former top ten player in the world here. 
Uh, and then <laughs> there it is. Uh, who is, you know, as high as eighth, I think, in the world. And then B, somebody who it sounds like he passed the eye test. Mm. Are you solid? It speaking was a pretty of, impressive part of the eye test. It was. I agree. Speaking of the eye test, Tron, were you with me that day at the players when we just sat and watched him hit the the cut chips? Yeah. Wait, for, what's the timeline now? For forty five minutes now? Because it started at fifteen and it got up to thirty a couple. No, years I thought ago. it was like an hour and a half. That okay, okay, it was, it was at least an hour and a half, maybe. Two. Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. And I've just you know been a fan ever since. So, uh, yeah, great, great to see him have have another good week. Uh, you know what's interesting. You mentioned Randy, of course, on a uh, on a silent retreat this week uh, at, at some sort of Trappist monastery up in the mountains. Listen to the trap draw. Listen to the trap draw for for more on that later. How does Big Tone keep doing this? Two wins while we're in Scandinavia, while Randy's out of the country. Another win this week when he doesn't have access to his cell phone. I, I know Randy has like some. Uh, some ski trips on the books and things like that early in 2023. I'm going to be hammering, hammering the betting markets with our friends at uh, DraftKings to uh, play some heavy big tone bets next time Randy goes out of town. I'll just ask this question to start. Will you finally accept Fee now? Will you accept him? I think we accepted him years ago. I think DJ did as well. Totally. I, I think if anything, this is this is purely vindicating of what we've been saying. The guy is a he's a monster. I don't know, like you know, I, I think that's where this all started from. Was this should have been you know not win number five? It should have been win number fifteen. Uh, when when the guy gets going, he's just he's unbelievable. Did he? You know, I don't even think we need to talk about the fact that that he was what three over on the back nine. And if anybody had been even close to him, he would have he would have you know crapped Done. it away. I don't think we need to talk about dance. that. I don't think yeah. we need to talk about that. I don't think we need to talk about the fact that he himself. <laughs> said that you know on the first hole he was thinking he might not it might not be his day when he started the day with what a six shot lead four shot lead something like that I, I don't think we need to talk about that stuff i think what we should talk about is his you know apparently he's the best driver in the world right now that that kind of blew me away i don't think he missed a fairway on on saturday <laughs> hit all 13 fairways and like horrible horrible conditions which i thought was uh was pretty fascinating just you know it, it's it's hard to deny this week it was it was a true exhibition. And let me say, suspending the bit, suspending all things, obviously, obviously a fun guy to root for. He looks like he's having the time of his life. Uh, I love seeing the family out there. I love seeing all, I mean, I'm even in on all the TikTok dances and everything. I, I'm, I'm a big tone, you know, I'm a big tone appreciator, even if, if maybe his style of play doesn't always line up with what I would like to see in my superstars. And even if I don't think maybe he's maxing out his, generational talent uh i'm still i'm still happy for him that that he got his fifth pj tour win put him in the in the mark wilson zone. seven slights in there in amongst all, all that praise i think i counted seven in there and a lot you of praise say, that's more praise than there's ever been you have to admit F that Finau is the least uncool golfer yeah right he I, i'm not gonna go far to say like no golfers are cool but he's the least uncool golfer i think that's right i think that's okay. right tc will you accept Finau? Again, I'm like the UN. I don't know if it's the blue hat or the white hat or whatever, the white helmet. You know, I, I'm Boutros, Boutros, Boutros Carter. Yeah, neutral observer here. I I think it's I think it's fair to demand greatness from people who you think have that capability. And I think Tony Finau like has like very very elite level talent, and I'd like to see him win tournaments beyond the like of like suspending the bit like you said Deej, like yes he won the northern trust at liberty national over a great field of golfers otherwise he's won the and like i know he can't control you know where or or when he wins but and like i'll even be willing to say it's better than not winning totally 
but also it's like you know the 3m detroit you guys are so brave uh, you know puerto rico this event and what else has he won i think those say? are those are the four right like i think that's kind of five wins yeah five. I, you know, or, or yeah and then so but like that's that's kind of the deal right like he's he's not winning big dick events and it seems like we're poised, Sally. It seems like we're poised. Next year could be a massive year. Maybe, maybe he's going to rattle off a major, rattle off a bunch more, you know, big wins. I, I would love that. Nobody would love that more than me. You know, I think it would, uh, it would really bring true some of these proclamations for this massive talent that me, TC, Randy, the silent majority, really have been, uh, have been pointing out for years now. And also, I'm going to ask you: will, will you just thank us? For making it's fucking November thirteenth, and we're all like giddy to talk about golf on this podcast. I think about how boring this would be if we're just like, man, Tony Fino, what a player, huh? After a wire to wire like six <laughs> yeah. shot win, right? Like, come on, you should be thanking us over That's Tyson Alexander doing. and <laughs> yeah. I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm honestly impressed that you could bend over backwards to make me thank you for for what I've been through over the last several years of just trying to convince you that the guy's a decent player. That's all I've ever tried to do. We've always here. said he's a decent player. That's why we've expected and demanded more out of him. That's the whole fucking point. A huge point that I've screamed for the mountaintops along the way is you guys have tried to paint him as somebody that chokes away events that doesn't perform in the final rounds, and it's just it's just not the case. It's just you you can't say it. And I've got some numbers. The eye test. Like me. The eye test. Like what Max did to him at Riviera or the shit he shot 64 that day. It was the greatest <laughs> final round he's ever played. I listened back to that episode. You guys all said that you all said that it was the great. He did everything he possibly could except for the could have on that day. He had, a, he was plus 6.6 .6 in strokes gain on that day oh alone. Oh my gosh. That day alone. <laughs> Finau's scoring average when he starts in the top five, the last two years, when he starts the final round in the, in the top five, his scoring average is 68. Point nine. He's, he scores almost a full shot better than his normal average. Uh, he has been plus 2.3 since 2018 when he starts a final round in the top five. That'd be good enough to be the second best player in the world right now. Like that's only behind Rory's current strokes. So why isn't he the second best player in the world right now? I'm saying he plays even better when the pressure is on. People don't want to believe that, but that's that's just so, fact at this so point. The is, numbers he, is he complacent then when the pressure is not on? Sure, let's go with that. That could be the new block if you want to spin that one. He was another example. He was plus four point seven this year in in, uh, in the Canadian final round and got clipped by Roy McIlroy. Like when he's tried to win some, I that's believe that would count as a big dick event. event. Yeah, I would think so. Open. He's still had some horrific luck in those. Like run up against some dudes that we're not going to do the luck thing. Boy, we literally are going to do the luck thing because now it's like now it's starting he's to even old. out a little bit. He's so old. You know how much luck he's had? He's How's it not, not balanced yeah. out yet? It's started to even out. Now when he gets in contention, he's got five wins now, four in the last 15 months. The only other guys that can say that are Rory, Cantlay, and Scheffler. Uh, he's up among the big names where he belongs. Like that, It's been an incredible, incredible run. I will say, though, like we, we can't put the level of his wins against the level of those guys wins and that's why I, listen no i, I one's would that. love to see him get luckier at some bigger events it's yeah. that, that's all i'm saying that's okay. all i'm saying that, that's probably next uh, oh for so sure no one this would be really harder for that than me and tc there's no sign of it stopping We've got many many questions about this three fits slc said how responsible is Sally for the era of female dominance we are now witnessing i'm taking no credit at all exactly because i dominance. think dj and randy and i should be taking credit because we've been the ones that motivated have, that have him. sought this you pulled this out of him it's like right? whip, you ever see that movie whiplash he yeah. he did say it's he loves like haters. That. 
A lot of people asking what happened to the uh, the chin strap, uh, the 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 bet, the goatee bets at the uh, NIT between you and Randy, DJ. Any I, any response? I'm pretty sure I, I it was like a week ago, so it's hard to remember. But I'm pretty sure I did it. I don't know if anybody has any photos of me at the NIT to to conflict that, but I'm I'm pretty sure I did it. Solly, if you sure. want to play this game too, I'm still owed a hundred bucks from everybody for the Formula One thing last year. That I can, I can spend on yeah, Formula One stuff. That's yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. That's so true. listen, I, I, I mean, truly didn't know that. I truly you know, didn't know that. Glass houses, things of that nature. <laughs> okay, I'll gladly pay for that. <laughs> Caleb Hammond said, "Does the big tone situation make you second guess a life lived with sincerity?" Tron and Big Randy troll their way through a never-ending bit and seem happy. You care, and therefore could never truly win, prompting frustration and maybe contributing to the big left miss. Thoughts? <laughs> Why am I being lumped in here? <laughs> You literally just lumped yourself in in the last thing you said. I think that I think there's some something interesting there. That's you know that's kind of what I was going to say when you're rattling off all the strokes gained, all the all the. What what do you want me to do with that information? What what would make you happy? Stop saying things that are wrong. Like just stop saying wrong things. That's the main thing. Not he everything have, could be the eye test. He should have more wins than he does. And, uh, and, if you, and if not you everything with that, is, I, it's hard to yeah. take you seriously. And not everything is distilled down to like, oh, like his strokes gained or this or that. It's like, yo, like the game's played on a big. That field is of the crap. game. That is the game, though. Like you, that you people. I hate the trying to make strokes gain into this nerdy data thing. It's literally just your evaluation of how you played the game. But you, you can do scoring but average, but that doesn't adjust. Somebody's like in a specific moment. Like there's been moments. You know, whether like where I'm like, holy shit, like tone, big tone is not going to hit this shot well. And he doesn't hit that shot well. He now and there's been plenty to, of times when he does. I know, That's but he's starting to reverse that. And I think he got and no one reps. has supported him more than yes. TC in that regard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he just needed some reps in the big moments and he's gotten them now. And it could be a Joe, huge year next year. I think yeah. no one's predicting a bigger year than me for big tone next year. Joe Howley 20 is Finau winning a major in 2023. No, but you know. <laughs> I mean, what will it be? We did this on Twitter, TC. What will? So if he wins the Masters, that's a limited field event, so that doesn't. He count. should go play the Ned Bank. U.S. That's U.S. Open. Major. U.S. Open's got a bunch of scrub qualifiers, right? PGA's got all the club no, pros, so that wouldn't be. Solid. No, I mean that like, wouldn't be a big win. Which is the which is the major he would be most likely to win in twenty twenty? The Open, he would just got the lucky side of the draw, probably. And then, <laughs> for sure, that's a good uh, one. I'm gonna write that one down. Number one, and then PGA Tour, they let all the way up to number one twenty five in that in the players' that's championship. Not a major. So that's that not doesn't a major. count. Don't do that. I didn't say it was a major. It, I'm just it saying. is. It is a good question. What 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 is his best chance? What's what's he most likely to win? It seems like he's been Augusta. very close at Augusta. He's been yeah, very close. Just because he's, you know, bombers and he's driving it great. He hits his irons great if he can figure out the putter. It seems like kind of that, you know, I'm sure there's numbers for and or against this, but, uh, you know, kind of where the, the putter evens out. A lot of bad putters win it, win at Augusta, right? Because yeah. everybody tends to putt poorly. So it seems like that would be the best chance. But LACC, I, probably a good good look for him too. Uh, and well can we talk Viv, about like... You know. This is a this is a real golf course. Like this is not like a, totally. a standard Tony Finau PGA Tour bomb at golf course. Like, this is this thing required a lot of different shots, a lot of precision, a lot of really really freaking good contouring around these greens that made it uh, really 
interesting chess match. I know a lot of people were not watching the golf uh, this time of year. That's just natural. But to watch them play a Muni and have two, three guys, two or three guys, was it, that finished be, uh, better than 10 under par in a four-round golf tournament? Like, that's outrageous. Yeah. And, it's like, Finau truly separated himself because the scoring opportunities just were not plentiful on that golf course. And it was just so many cool little pins and put in the you know front left corners of greens where there's huge mounds taking it away. You got to decide if you're taking that pin on, you're bringing bogey into play. That was just interesting golf. I wish this golf course, it plays so great in the fall, so it's in the right spot. I just wish more people would watch a tournament like this and more people would play it because it's a really good tournament. Totally cosigned. I think that's, that's you know, offsetting any leaderboard concerns I have with like, yo, this is just like a really, it's a really underrated, cool, fun golf course to watch. Uh, there's some big holes out there too. Like there's, I think I was, I was talking to Zach earlier. He's like, yeah. There were a couple holes in the practice round where I didn't even get it to the fairway. <laughs> so he texted Doke and Doke. And you know, I was like, well, that was probably the that was probably the holes that Kepka was designing, right? Uh, How about that? The fact that that Kepka has about that. a co co-design credit on this one. No, but it's it's great. Like I love watching it's it's turned up in spots without being gimmicky, if that makes sense. Like, you know, some of the slopes on the greens, there's some great runoffs, but they're not pushed up unnecessarily it seems like everything's kind of a grade you know pretty nondescript piece of land it looks like but there's some cool little creeks and stuff running through that they that they brought in i don't know i i really enjoyed watching it thursday friday I tried to watch it saturday and it was just kind of like you know and then i got shifted over to cnbc after that, <laughs> that was which tough. was we can get to that that's tough so. but, but my the point of saying that like i don't know if Finau has like a golf course profile that is like he can only do it on certain kinds of golf no, courses. No, totally. I think some of his wins, have, it's not even necessarily yeah. like a bomber's paradise golf course is where he has gotten his wins or his it's best like an tournaments. iron player's paradise. Yeah. You're he, like, he, I mean, he's really good at dialing back off the tee as well. Think of the golf national too. He was one of the best U.S. players at in Paris. So like and that golf course was Pro- proper the, golf course. The opposite <laughs> of, of I thought it was interesting. He, he had a lot of quotes about like kind of dialing it back and, and hitting low – low drivers and almost kind of, yeah, just like crafting it out there, which is so the opposite. If you were just kind of stereotyping him, it's so the opposite of what you would think his game is, which is just ball speed freak, hit it as far as you can and figure it out. He's, he's kind of not that player, which is, which is really interesting. And it's fun to kind of go a, a level deeper. I think also just like worth mentioning, and I don't know his caddy situation at all. I don't know anything about his old caddy i don't know anything really about his new caddy i just it's interesting that you know made a caddy change and now has won what three times in his last like 20 starts or something like that i think that's who's he got in the bag urbanic mark or uh, mark yeah. urbanic yeah he lives in jacks actually um how long has he been on the bag i thought he made a change like at the beginning of this year earlier this year no i like think that? it looks like he was uh he was on the bag for when Finau won uh he began uh the 2020 pga Okay. So, well, um, still Harding Park. So two, basically, a little over two years ago, and yeah. he's what basically. four wins in the last two years? Yeah, correct. And a bunch of other close calls. That's the thing. Like now, yeah. those close calls, I think, look a little different in terms of he, you can't get it done. It's also like, yeah, you've won a bunch and you've been super close at a bunch of events. Is is very different than what I believe you said via Slack earlier, DJ, which was Mark Wilson ass career, uh, which I'm gonna have to throw a penalty flag on that. One. I'm throw a challenge flag on that one. That's a good point. Mark Wilson got it done at like the Phoenix Open and some actual like real events. Yeah, I'm gonna pull up Mark Wilson's. Uh, you want? I, I can. Here. I can do it off memory same, if you want. Same you number want of wins, I believe, right? Same number of wins in his. Yeah, into. Uh, yeah, what we, we, got? Can, we can reevaluate Sony, when Sony Open. 
When Finau yep. gets into his 40s, we can maybe reevaluate. God, Mark Wilson, that's so fucking hot. That, that yeah. West Coast swing. <laughs> Palm Springs. I remember yeah, everyone. He, they're all in the spring. He, all his wins were between <laughs> January and March. <laughs> like, <laughs> Would you rather have them all be in the spring or all in the fall, though? You know, I, But also in one of the worst golf periods that we're sure, that we, sure. uh, a period that we will not see again. Some basically. plumbers and firemen like so, was, Jose Caceres, <laughs> JJ Henry, Tim Clark, Steve Marino. That was Robert a tough Karagas, time period. Malinger, yes. yeah. Stephen Ames was like top ten in the world at a certain point in the in that time period. So he also won the Wisconsin State Open in two thousand one. And wow. not for nothing, I think he's turned into a good good broadcaster. I'm, yes. a, I'm a Mark Wilson fan. What else you guys got from uh, Tyson Alexander making a huge birdie on the 18th hole for a solo second finish? Made almost a million dollars with a second place finish. That kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, so that was, that putt was probably worth about 200 grand or something Which like that. Which is pretty cool for a guy that's 34 years old and finally got his PGA Tour card and has bounced around and all that. Like that's you know that's one of those stories of like good for you, man. Like those last 12 years of mini tours and bouncing back and forth between corn ferry and latin america like you just made a guy just made a million dollars that's that's what i think we say this about the fall every year it, it's true at the risk of being condescending to some of these events very optional viewing if you want to plug in there's there's good stories to be had there's you can go deep there's a lot of good stuff that you can really sink your teeth into and if you don't want to watch i don't think you had to watch tony yeah. Fino win the houston open you didn't have to do that nobody's making you do that you know so it, should, should these events exist? Probably not. But you know what? Is it taking anything off the table for us, the viewers? Not that's right. Really. They're out there doing it. You know, I respect that. Let me let me throw a couple at you. I, I, I gathered some quotes. OK, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to read some quotes for you guys. I think maybe this will spark some uh, some things to talk about. I'm going to read the quote. You guys tell me who said it. OK, they're kind of long. So strap in. Let's Deej, I'm going to stop you first because I have some quotes that I got to read to you. Wow. First. I think this is urgent. <laughs> And this quote is that this podcast is brought to you by Cash App. Quote. The easiest way to send, spend, save, and invest with friends. Hopefully everyone in your group has a cash tag. If not, you need to be harassing them. I, I will say it. That's not in the script, but harass your friends to get on Cash App. It connects you effortlessly with your friends and your finances. A couple shout-outs to get in this week. I want to shout-out the guy in the Austin airport that came up to me and flashed his cash tag right in front of me to say, like, hey, I'm on Cash App because of you guys. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of eating right now, but thank you. Did uh, you send him any money? I did not send him any wow. money. Wow. One guy did that a couple weeks ago. He said uh, you know, they did the, one of those things, like, your third at has to buy you lunch, and he tagged me into it, and I bought him lunch. I sent him $20 wow. for it. I hope that covered That's it. very cool. I want to give a shout-out to Justin Fields, just in general. There's no real like, cash app plug oh, into this. Oh, don't do this. No. He's probably going to win me a fantasy championship this year, oh, so I want to do that. That schedule uh, gets so much harder. Shout-out to the landlord. He's got a great playoff schedule. Shout-out to the landlord that takes payments in cash app. Uh, shout-out to Valets. Uh, this is a DJ Pie movie. Oh, yeah. He's, he's one of those, like, ne oh, I don't never, use cash. Never yeah. have cash. So if I can ever you know, tip the valet with cash app, that's that's always preferred. Everyone that participated in the Cash App game during the live shows this past year, uh, we're going to be doing a bunch more of that next year. And always eternally shout out to the guy that sends you the money that he owes you before you have to request it. Cash App, easiest way for you and your friends to enjoy sending, spending, saving, investing, splitting, tipping, donating. That's money. That's Cash App. You can download it from the App Store or Google Play Store. Create your cash tag today. You get a free $15 when you use code NLU. And $10 goes to Youth On Course. You're supporting growing the game in the right way. Um, we can only say that when Randy is not on. All right, Deej, let's play your quote game. Hold so on, I, I saw it real quick. Eagles, first round of the, of the fantasy playoffs. Bills, I'm not worried about first round. round. I'm going to get a buy into that. Okay, so Bill's second round. Hmm. I got to look into. I got to look into this. <laughs> He's going to be in a shootout. 
He's going to be in a shoot. That's the thing. The, the Bears' defense is so bad, he's going to be in shootouts the rest of the year. He's, he's okay. number one fantasy quarterback going forward. All right, we are gathering a couple a couple quotes from from the week here. Just, you know, a little a little roundup. We're going to play a little who said it. I'll read it. You guys you guys tell me uh, tell me who said these quotes. Ready? They're kind of long, so, so strap in for them. All right, this is uh, regarding the golf course. It's a huge change of pace from what we usually play on tour. I'm a big fan of Mr. Tom Doak, the designer. I like the strategy that's involved. I like that it's not overly punishing with lost balls, shots in the hazard, but it really makes you think. The bunkers, even like some of the kind of dugout areas in the rough are really strategic on all the holes, and the big slopey greens really make you have to think not only on your approach shots, but being creative around the greens. I like that your brain's kind of needing to be constantly turned on, and it's a really fun strategic challenge. Who's Who said that? Hmm. James Hahn. It's a great I'm gonna guess. Say, I'm going to say Scotty Scheffler. No, good guess. That was Patrick Rogers, Stanford grad, Patrick Rogers, thoughtful, thoughtful young man. Wanted to uh, discuss this just because, TC, I think he's kind of right on the line of death panel versus like appreciating the slow culmination of a career. He's 30 years yeah. old. He is playing really freaking good golf right now he's kind of one of those guys that like he always keeps his card he always kind of just like plods away he's never really you know he's scared victories a couple times i think a couple runners up but no wins on the pga tour and it just kind of seems like one of those things that you know this is like what careers used to be like you know as you would kind of toil away chip away chip away chip away and then when you turn 30 31 32 all of a sudden you started you know getting some wins and it seems like that's going to be the case for him. And I'm just curious if you guys have any Patrick Rogers thoughts, because you could also convince me that his career up until this point is kind of like, well, that's the guy we need to get rid of. It's like that. That's what we don't need filling out the fields. So I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, it's a I, little bit of both, right? I don't think he has kept his card through all these years. I think he just like keeps showing up to these tournaments and like, they're like, Oh yeah, Patrick, you're on the list, right? Sure. Go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. Here's your spot. Come hit balls right here. Like I don't, I, I, if you told me he has like, has got a special exemption into the tour, I would totally agree with that. He's provided somehow no memories in how do you, how do you keep a card for this long and not really give us much to go off of? Well, I think he's always in that like 85 to 115 range. He finished you know? 128 after 2020, 2021. But then I but think otherwise, he got his yeah, back He's, he's never finals, finished better than 74th. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and like he makes a ton of cuts too. Totally. Like in 1920, he made 27 events. He made 20 cuts, but he had he only had seven top 25s, one top 10. Uh, he's just not. And then like uh, next year, he, he, he played 34 times next year. He's played seven events already this season. It's crazy, man. Seven. I know. I know. It's nuts. And I think, you know, it's just a, he's, he's one of those guys that like if you were one of his buddies or if you were like really closely following his career, you know, if you were for whatever reason, a massive, massive Patrick Rogers fan, like I, I think it would be a very interesting roller coaster to kind of be on almost like a, a bit of a Homa-esque kind of career, you know, like absolute world beater in college. And then just like you keep waiting for it to happen and it doesn't quite happen. And it, 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 I'm predicting, I think it's going to happen this year. I think he's going to win. Who's uh, the other guy on that college team? Was it Cameron Wilson? Cameron Wilson, who's now like a, uh, yeah, he's like a finance guy now. He was so good. So good. Um, I will say Rogers dealt with a lot of wrist injuries and the, that's just something that it's held both he and I back over the years of, mm. of really trying to reach our full potential. But his like, his data golf is insane. His worst every year was minus 0.49 strokes gain and best ever plus 0.43. Like yeah. No one has a range that like doesn't 
uh, you know, a, a multi multi year range that doesn't span over a shot. Like everyone's is way more volatile than that. It's insane how much he hovers around. I bet if you average it all out, he'd literally be like PJ tour average, which yeah. it's probably that way week to week too. Right. And you need that. Like that's not necessarily the recipe for success anymore is making cuts. You need almost that high volatility, high variance. Mav McNeely's talked about that on the yep. podcast before. For you know? sure. Um, all right, let's move on. This is, uh, this is the second one of three here. It's a little bit longer one. I've never played good in the fall. I don't know why that is from the time I got to college, basically up until last year, I've always struggled in the fall. I don't exactly know why that was. I've always kind of tried stuff in college. That was the middle of our season. So it was weird for some reason. Maybe it was because of football. Who knows? I've never played well. And last year was really the first time I did. And it was kind of nice, uh, going into the off season, feeling very comfortable with where my game was at. Uh, I was just able to fine tune a couple things instead of really feeling like I had to work on a ton of stuff. It was more like, let's kind of get this thing rolling and go into the beginning of the year. I just really played well. Scheffler. That's exactly right. Scotty Scheffler. Uh, just an, another interesting one, a guy that like seems very, very consistent. I thought that was kind of interesting for him to highlight. Like, yeah, for whatever reason, that time of the year, I, I just never play well. I thought you were going to say Norin just because he's such a big Oklahoma State Cowboys. Fan. Sure. <laughs> go Pokes, baby. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. He also just talked about, like many, many players have the last 10 years, just being absolutely fucking exhausted uh, after the President's Cup. And like, so I thought it was interesting because, you know, when you have that mindset going in of just like, dude, I, I really need to play well in the fall because I need to not get too far behind. I need to not feel like I'm chasing. And also I'm exhausted. I just think that's like a really, that's a pretty fascinating dynamic. Can I throw something out here that doesn't really fit into what you're doing here, Deej, but I think it does with what we just watched, talking about how Houston was such a great fall golf course. I know that in Texas in the fall, football rules. I know it does, but especially with this elevated look into the future, the the Byron Nelson and the Schwab looks like a really awkward spot in the calendar. I'm guessing that those events are going to get elevated some of the years if, if they do that. But we've always said, like, it rains a shitload in May in, yeah. in Dallas. Like, those events are just not meant for that time of year. Wouldn't that make sense to have a true Texas swing in the fall? Like, wouldn't a bunch more of the Dallas guys play those events so you'd still get good fields uh, this time of year? I know your ratings are not going to be nearly as good going up against football. But as the tour looks to restructure, you know, I know that somebody's got to pay for, you know, somebody loses whenever you do any of these changes, and it would be those events losing in some way. But man, it doesn't, from a 10,000 foot view, doesn't it look, make way more sense to have those events in Texas in the fall? They should let Schwab out of their, out of their, uh, champions tour contract and let them, you know, say, Hey, you know what? We'll let you out of your champions tour contract. If we can move colonial to the fall and you guys keep sponsoring it. Love that. It's interesting. All right. Last one. This is after uh, very difficult conditions on Saturday, as you guys know. You hear it all the time. It's pretty cliche, one shot at a time, but I think it's a lot easier to be present when the conditions are so tough. You really have to focus on every shot, create a picture, and hit a shot. I think I did that really well all week, but especially today. Justin Rose. Good no, guess. He, he, played, he played like shit today. Oh, that was this was yeah, after Saturday. Saturday's round. Oh, this was after Saturday. Okay, yeah. sorry. Scott Piercy. Great guess. No. <laughs> Big tone. Oh, that was okay. big tone. And I just, I thought that was a very interesting window. I'm not trying to take, you know, an interesting answer and flip it into a negative, but a little whiff there of like, maybe, maybe, you know, it falls asleep at the wheel a little bit. I thought that was an interesting thing. Like it's hard to, you know, it's a little easier to stay focused, stay locked in when the conditions are tough. 
Uh, I think a that speaks to him playing well at difficult golf courses, right? Maybe he locks in a little bit more. I also think it speaks to maybe he he falls asleep a little bit at some of these uh, some of these easier setups. Maybe that explains some of the weird mistakes in the past. But that's, that's just one one man's read. One man's read. Curious he's what a, you guys. He's think. He's a true artisan. He's trying to do you know uh, craftsman bespoke shit out there. Right? He needs to. He needs to. Just yeah, that, that's an impressive reach. That's all I could say about that. That's imp- it's truly impressive. Well, what's your what's your read on that? Nothing other. Just, I could just... see like I, I I think there's something to um, the most talented players when um, it's not pin your ears back golf that they it activates something within them, right? Like when it's not homogenizing everything. Kind of when the going that, gets tough. So I'm, tough I'm not going. saying that he falls asleep. I'm just saying like. So a lot of these dudes like it when it gets harder because they can do things with the golf ball that Aaron Rye, to pull out a name, cannot do, right? So, um, you know, that's – I'm sure Aaron Rye had a fantastic round three as I said that. But it, there's that that's probably what he means in terms of, like, when you can we can throw out, like, I need to shoot this number and I just need to focus on this golf shot. Um, that is – you know, there's something that gets activated within that. So, and Sally, I, Sally I Aaron Rye should be your favorite player – you know, considering the double gloves and the glandular stuff that, you, that, you, that you've got going on, the iron, iron covers. covers. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> but, and let me be clear. I I love that quote from Big Tone. I think that's an awesome, yeah. awesome yeah. mindset, and I think it speaks to the same thing that we say. You know, every every major that we watch is just like the difficult conditions separating the best players from the not best players is exactly what you don't get on the PJ tour week to week. And that's activated by this golf course too. I exactly. Mean, it, yeah. it, you know, sometimes difficult conditions. Like I would say when, when Bay Hill gets like hard and windy and firm, it just becomes like a crap shoot. Like it's just kind of silly. You can't, you got to hit it over water and hold these greens that nobody could really hold. It just becomes, uh, you know, it, people are going to win at three over par. It's something that's exaggeration, but this like activates all of the mounds, all of the slopes, everything that like makes this golf course interesting is activated with just a little bit of wind and a little bit of conditions. So guys, big tone, open championship, Hoy Lake could be a you know, you get some you get some wind, you get some conditties. He's got a couple, he's got a solo third, twenty nineteen, he's got a T nine before. Comfortable with Lynx golf. Well, and I just want a final bow on on Memorial too. Is there's a, there is a reason why you don't see this a lot on the PGA Tour, and I've not been to Houston, but like it's a very flat golf course with perched up greens. I would imagine, unless you're in a grandstand, viewing is tough. Like PGA Tour golf is stadium viewing. It is set up for like you to be able to sit on a mound to be able to see down onto the green. That's there for the entertainment product. Do I think that that can take away from some of the intrigue of watching on TV? Absolutely, I do. So a rare week where it's like. Hey, this might not be as good on the ground. You might not be able to see up to these greens, but on TV, it's going to get a lot more interesting. That is a a, a rare win and trade off for for the sickos, if I may say. They should move the Byron Nelson here and just play both. Double the purse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. Gets rid of an event, keeps the purse to save. That's a heady play. That consolidation, is provocative. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you want to go over uh, to? Uh, you want to go across the pond to uh, to South Africa, across the pond and south, way down to the Ned Bank. Uh, yeah, TC, I'm gonna let you take it away here. I'm I'm very curious to see how this is gonna go. <laughs> well, hold hold on. We've got a few other things to uh, okay. to tidy up real quick. Joel Damon continues to top up on those FedEx Cup points heading into the holidays. Here, congrats to him. <laughs> we talked about it last week. Love when he he he's making money. Love when Joel Damon's making money. <laughs> Uh, as I said, the tournament was moved to CNBC on Saturday to make way for the Olds, 
that uh, got the four four to seven or four to six p.m. time slot on Golf Channel, which is a fucking disgrace. Like, and and then and then basically people want to say, well, yeah, like you're you're going to create a two tiered tour system. You're you're moving the 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 third round of a of a like regular season PGA Tour event to CNBC to make way for the Charles Schwab. It's the playoffs, TC. Come on. It's the, the final, it's the championship. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's the Super Bowl. Biggest event uh, in golf. Yeah, I don't know. That just really, really miffed me, man. It really pissed me off. Really <laughs> chapped my ass. Uh, and then Mark Hubbard. We didn't talk oh, about Mark sick. Hubbard getting, about getting DQ'd. Mark Hubbard got DQ'd in round two. Uh, at the turn, he changed out his driver uh, for another driver, knowing it was a penalty. Thought he was going to get just a two-shot penalty on every hole, but wanted to test the driver in tournament conditions, knowing he was going to miss the cut. And uh, turned out it got it. Turns out it got him DQ'd. Which yeah, I thought that was, was sick. He he's not afraid to experience when he's going to miss the cut. He will do some weird stuff. He'll do the hockey putts. He'll do whatever. Uh, he's there to bring some entertainment to a, to an otherwise uh, unnoteworthy miscut. I'm all for it, man. You think he's going to get fined for conduct unbecoming? Yes, I yes. would think so, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. Which can't. which in reality, like it's probably the most professional thing that you could do to walk <laughs> in and try to try to <laughs> squeeze something out of that round when you know you're going to miss the cut. Actually, Your Honor, if you think about it, <laughs> right? you should be paying me. <laughs> Anything uh, else from from Houston? Team Rose popping up. It was Houston. popping yeah. up and then popping down. Yeah. Not not a good day today. Two two over today in the final listen, group. Listen, underestimate him at your own at your own peril, Deej. I, I think I'm good on Team Rose. <laughs> uh, I think I think it might be. I think we might be beyond his best years. What was that yeah. quote that someone said about Tiger and everybody got all mad? He's on the back night of his career. He was like he was like 40 at the time and it had like 18 <laughs> surgeries. <laughs> And I, was it? Did Rory say that? I think maybe. And I think it was Rory. Rory's yeah. like, oh, you know, you look at someone like Tiger, who's probably on the back nine of his career, and everybody got all pissed off. Team Rose is on the nineteenth hole. <laughs> well, he's great question Mick, from Mick from, Ultra. And Grey he's Goose. in the Grey Goose nineteenth hole. <laughs> from D Foggy, he said, "Blows my mind seeing Rose play on the PGA Tour. I can't believe he didn't go to live. I assume he'd be one of the first names. I'd love to know why he didn't go. Do you think it's Ryder Cup related in his legacy? Oh, I think it's a hundred percent Ryder Cup related. Yeah, it has to be. Which, but that yeah. has been." Busted through by so many dudes that I would have thought their legacy meant something to them. And I would have thought Rose would have, I'm, I'm in this of the same boat and I don't want to make it this simple, but it, it remains like no one from Excel has gone. And, uh, you know, I, we don't, we are wrapped by Excel. We don't really work on that side of the business and we don't really have any communication on that side of the business or understanding as to why that is the case. But it's astonishing. I would think that if, uh, if Rose wanted it, maybe he doesn't want to go. I, I don't really know if he's really even been asked about it, but he would fit the profile so perfectly. Yeah. I'm, I mean, well, hey, first of all, they, maybe they wouldn't give him a Team Rose. Mm. Right? So that's that's part of it. He could join uh, his fellow countryman, Henrik Stenson, on counterpoint, the Counterpoint, TC, it's all about having someone you can lean on. And I think Pat Perez proved that this year. Oh, but, but he would lose Morgan Stanley, which that's is a true. tour partner. Well, maybe uh, he's already learned what he needs from Morgan Stanley. That's true. Uh, bottom line, I, th I think Rose cares deeply about like a captaincy. Like that's very yeah. much in line with which is how his you know good for him. Right. Which is I admirable. The shit yeah. out of that, yeah, totally. Like literally paying like probably fifty million dollars to be a captain of a Ryder Cup team. Like I, I, that's admirable. I would say instead of instead of monetizing it like Stenson did. <laughs> exactly.
No, you can put them to a lie detector. I actually, and just for the record, that was a joke when I said fellow countryman Stenson. That's what Liv put in the press release when Stenson joined the Majestics and joined his fellow countrymen, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, and Laurie Cantor. Anyway, uh, off to South Africa for uh, Africa's major. Am I right, Deej? <laughs> you are. You are. I, I'm a massive fan of, I, I think that's their whole slogan, Twitter account. They're just branding this thing as Africa's major, which is fucking sick. But anyway, Tommy Ladd gets it done. This is his second Ned Bank. He now has two national opens, two majors, two premiums. Let's not blow through that too quickly. Let's clarify what the majors are. The Ned Bank? Two, two of <laughs> Africa's majors. Uh, and he's I thought you were going to say British Masters. No, he's never won the British Masters. Oh, I thought he did. No, he's won the Open, the, the French I guess open. he hosted it. He hosted yeah. it. Yeah. Which is like French winning open. it. I, I throw him a win for that. And then, and then he's won the Kazakhstan Open. <laughs> uh, and then two premium BDEs, which is the, uh, uh, the back-to-back uh, Abu Dhabi championships that he won and then he won a national championship which was tommy won the british par three championship mm. back in the day which not I many people actually, doing that that's yeah, actually cool, kind of swerve you that's know? a cool block uh so. i saw a question from kyle porter is there a is there a difference tc between big dick events and premium big dick events it's a great question i think that's where the eye test comes in you know <laughs> If the conditions are right, it gets upgraded to premium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If there, it's a great leaderboard, the course is great, or you know, there's some the, the winner. The winner fits the narrative. Exactly. Is it like pe- Peacock <laughs> though? Even the premium version has ads. <laughs> you get yeah, access I'm to that new about fresh print show. Yeah, I'm not worried about ads there. Uh, no, but I mean, it's good to see Tommy. Tommy playing well. He's a spring chicken at 31. People are saying, why is Tommy not 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 getting the phenol treatment? here tommy's won a lot overseas uh again he's only 31 he's two years younger than Finau. it's wild that he's only 31 yeah a year older than, than the patrick rogers conversation we just had and he went through a uh you know he can went we, through the wilderness for a while too like can we put the pause pretty... on this part exactly right here so won a lot overseas yeah okay he, uh, just fucking six wins roll through them with you my guy just went through the cv are fina <laughs> winning five times on the pga tour is that a lot of wins then do you actually consider now, that now it times? is now it is but like as of like eight months ago he hadn't won five times on the yeah. pga tour that's the whole fucking point it like, takes years to do this yeah. research a lot of this research is already done <laughs> <laughs> now new shit has come to light now we're gonna have to reanalyze yeah but that's why Tommy hasn't just gotten go on a treatment over the last two years because he had already done all this shit. I think the problem here with with the Fleetwood thing is Finau, or Fleetwood was extremely legit. Like He was one of the top 10 ball strikers in the world, 2017, 2018. And he's fallen off significantly from that. And I, I, we've seen it from Fleetwood. Like We know it's there, and it hasn't been there for four, for four years now. And the riding for him is where, like, people are like, "What, uh, Finno? Why do you guys hate Tommy?" Like, no, there's no hate here. We've seen peak Fleetwood though, and I still, I, I'm still not seeing that quite yet, right? He needs like an actual BDE, BDW, uh, to to bump up into like being like, I'm totally buying in on this. Like, he is not still not the same player as what he, when he peaked four or five years ago. That's a long time ago, TC. I just he's won he's won two majors in the in the oh last God. 3 years <laughs> and he finished top 5 in two of this year's majors. Uh, more Ned Banks? 
No, the fucking PGA Championship and the Open Championship. Those are kind of backdoors, though, TC, if I, totally. if I remember that's, correctly. That's fine. That's fine. They are. But he's coming back. Uh, Solly, I, I know I'm not trying to set you up for failure. I know you probably don't have this off the top of your head, but I might. <laughs> I, I've always wondered on the, the Fleetwood ball striking stuff, like how much of that is the eye test uh, like messing with us in that he just like looks nope. like a ball striker and how much of that is statistical? I got it for you right here. Literally, he was 10th in the world spanning 2017 to 2018. I looked this up today. He was number 10 in the world in ball striking on, on strokes gain approach, strokes gain off the tee. Like that's extremely legit he's 56th over the last two years and he's 45th over the last year so that mm. that's an enormous fall off and for Make, referencing progress for Make reference finau is 16th over the last two years and 11th over the last year so like basically finau has become what fleetwood was at his best how much did morikawa fall off this year well be careful here deej no, I'm just uh, it's gonna I'm, come after you. That's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that DJ said that. No, what I was gonna get at it was like, I know it's not one to one. I know Morikawa is a better iron player. I know there's a lot of that stuff, but Solly throwing you a bone on the whole sometimes it bounces your way, sometimes it doesn't situation. A couple of those majors could have bounced Tommy's way, and and we could have been looking at him as a uh, a Morikawa type player a couple of years ago. It's true, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. So I'm 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 well aware of that, Sally. It, it happens. Just I, I think just apply in, it selectively. I I, I agree. Exactly. More people people were shitting on the Ned Bank a little bit. I just I, I will say Ryan Fox, arguably one of the hottest golfers in the world right now, finished second. Uh, Shubanker Sharma finished third. We Richie don't have Ramsey. To tell you, we don't have yeah. to tell you how he's been playing. Richie Ramsey, I want to shout him he's out. He's been playing good. Career renaissance. Yeah. Uh, went from almost losing his card to, like, he's in the top 20 on the Euro Tour now. Bez. I don't have to tell you about Bez. <laughs> Bez also, West. also, Westwood's not there anymore. He used to just clean up these net bags. <laughs> yeah. Hoover him up. So Blandy, Blandy had a terrible weekend, but he he, uh, he was playing well. And then, uh, great, Gracie. Gracie right. shot 75 today. They kind of kind of spit the bit a little bit. So to answer your question, Deej, over the last two years, Morikawa is the second best ball striker in the world. And in the last year, he is sixth best. Okay. So, so he's still, good. he's still, he's still, he's still yeah. Like, so yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, Rasmus trending downward though, TC. <laughs> yeah. Rasmus shot 76 today as well. He was in fuck man. I hate position. that. I hate that. Minwoo Lee played well. And then Thomas Dietrich. He's, Dude, he's, he's like, playing good everywhere. It's crazy. Well. Like yeah. he's gonna burn himself out. I know. I don't know how he. Yeah, I don't know how he keeps doing all this continent hopping. Seems like he's played like 15 weeks in a row on like four different continents. It's wild. So, uh, and I will say, we bring in our guest here pretty soon. Yes, we shall. Morikawa was number one in 2021. Like he was the best in 2021 ball striking, and he is sixth best this past year. For your reference, what I'm saying is sometimes it happens, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes life be like that. Sometimes it don't. Before we do, uh, we want to chat a little LPGA as well. Uh, yeah. We had Nellie Corda, first win since coming back from her blood clot, returns to number one in the world. Tough, tough, tough viewing window. They had to stream it online opposite Formula One, the Houston Open, the Red Zone Channel, and your local football games if you're watching that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm guessing not a lot of people are tuned into that, but – uh, very good little duel with uh, with Lexi Thompson coming down the stretch as well. So that was a huge win. Get her get her back to number one in the world. Lexi, I kinda... Lexi, I just I can't do it. 
I kind of throw my throw my hands up on this one a little bit. I was scrambling, like trying to watch it, and eventually was just like, dude, I'm not I'm not paying for this many apps and subscriptions and devices to stream. It's like it's just not gonna happen. I'm gonna follow it online. I'm gonna follow the highlights as they go out, but like, man, we gotta make that easier to stream and and all this. Like it's not linked from the fucking website. It's just you gotta go on a detective hunt just to even like watch this thing. It's it's very, very unfortunate because I was pretty keyed up. That was a pretty fucking awesome leaderboard that that they had. And it was just, it was not going to happen. There was too many forces working against it. Boned by the tropical storm. So yeah. 54 whole event. Um, but, you know, shout out to the, the Doyle guy, Dex Imaging or whatever. He's he's put up some, some money for that event, the Pelican Championship at the Riddler's place. And uh, I heard there was some turned up pins out there all weekend too. It's a fun golf course to watch. I've always enjoyed yeah. this tournament. Um, and Nelly, I just put Nelly on like a flat Florida golf course that, you know, is yeah. probably very similar to the places she practices. It looks way too easy for her. It really does. And she's uh, just really underrated wedge player too and medium range putter. Like her birdie, can, I don't, he's still kind of trying to figure out how to get the best way to get these numbers in. But her like birdie uh, execution percentage when she gets a wedge in her hand has to be one of the best on tour. It's just, it's not all length and, you know, flush five irons from her like her like down to getting the ball in the hole she's just an extremely refined player um and kind of sneaky returning to number one uh in the world also totally and uh you know kind of a reminder of like what a lost year it kind of turned into with with some of yeah. the, the blood clot stuff and how long she was out and having to bounce back from that stuff it just is it's unfortunate that it obviously had to had to go that way because she was kind of primed for a a true like nobody's going to catch me type of year and uh obviously had that that pop up so hopefully a big one next year guys i think i think this time next year we were talking about a new world number one lynn grant hmm. i think she's primed to absolutely take over once once they lift the vax <laughs> which is kind of wild that yeah if if uh if there were different you know governmental border policies in place we might have a different number one player in the world is is a weird reality that, that we're living in i i'm on the lynn grant uh hype train i'm just i think there's too many good like between lydia and uh titskun and and nelly corda like just too much to overcome like and jin young co kind of fallen off a little bit this past year like probably primed for uh you know a revival next year too much to overcome. Like the, the the strength at the top of the women's game is it's not ripe for a fresh overtaking of uh, of a world number. I'm one. not saying it is. I'm just I think I she's that good. I'm I just, think she's a predator. I I'm also worried about Jin Young Ko's uh, injury yeah, as well. But the ladies get a full full off season after this week. They got CME and then they're they're not back till what like early February or mid February. Whenever the I, I think I thought it was January the uh, Orlando event um, or the tournament champions. Uh, but then they got a new sponsor. I don't know how that's shaping up. But uh, big, the big flask is big out. flask out. I think so. Oh man, Maria Fossey had bogey the last two holes. I hated seeing that to fall down to T seven. She had a really good She's week. Been, been buoyed 62. since her her win in the long drive contest. Playing some golf. Uh, hated that seeing this. Maya Stark tripled eighteen to fall from. Uh, she was in a tie for third at that point and fell back into a tie for tenth. But she's also playing some very very serious golf. 
was was uh, Maya Stark the one like a, like a month ago that that was using the driver that wasn't yet approved for competition? I mean, yeah, I think that's DQ'd. right. <laughs> yes, that was Maya, sick. <laughs> don't call me Arya Stark. Before we do bring Evan in here, I want to tell you guys about our friends at Roback Activewear. You all know Roback. These guys just understand quality. There's only one way to describe it. It is best fit. Best feel. First of all, their performance polos, they fit so much better than your typical boxy polos. Their four-way stretch is next level. The material is super soft while staying wrinkle-free. There's a reason why we have their their uh, polos in our pro shop currently. The founders went through over 20 iterations of the collars alone to ensure it keeps its shape but does not get in the way of your golf swing. Second, their performance Q-zips. They're a game changer. Nothing beats a fall round of golf in a rowback Q-zip. They're soft, stretchy, and comfortable. I wear them all the time. And then when I'm not wearing them, I usually have one of their performance hoodies on the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. Nothing beats starting your day in a rowback hoodie. Uh, they're gaining traction big time. I see them everywhere. So I'm all over the airport this past week. Uh, you can use code NLU at rowback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of the week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code NLU. They just dropped some joggers. They got shorts. They got vests. They got it all. Rowback.com, code NLU. We, we made it 53 minutes into this with uh, with no live talk, but now I think it's time. Studio 54, baby. Uh, bringing in our Aussie friend, Evan Priest, coming in from, from Sydney. I believe he's down in Sydney. Is that correct? Sydney, Australia. Yeah, flew in exactly a week ago. It was a very, very interesting journey to get here. I, had, I was sandwiched between two very large men on the flight from Jacksonville to Dallas, and then I was seated next to – I got upgraded to business – and I was sat next to Terry Bradshaw from, from Dallas to LA. And he forced me to drink whiskey with him. And then, of course, he had a bit of a, you know, uh, bit of a hot mic moment on, on the NFL and made a, a regrettable joke. Uh, and then a really long flight to Sydney from LA, which got diverted to Brisbane. And we had to sit on the tarmac and get refueled. But after 32 hours, I'm here and I'm, I'm ready for, uh, from, for some Aussie Sandbelt action. And just to be clear, uh, it sounds like if, you, if you're going through Dallas, you, you flew. See, American no wonder you and TC are friends. You just start talking airports and airlines and flights off the bat, like just straight off the bat. You didn't even have to ask him anything about it. I know, right? Like I actually thought of Tron when I was on that flight. I was just like, fucking American Airlines. Like this is the last <laughs> time. And then like Qantas is like has the same reputation in Australia that, that, that American Airlines has. And they're actually partner airlines, which makes total sense. Yeah, one world. And fucking one hour out from, from Sydney, like literally on the home stretch, the pilot gets over the PA and says, Hey, we're diverting to Brisbane, and uh, we're going to be sitting on the tarmac for an hour and a half. Where we put forty tons of fuel in the jet, and then you'll get to Sydney. So that was so they awesome. just didn't have enough fuel, like to begin with, or yeah, was there like, like or? Qantas is either too cheap, or the pilots just didn't realize it'd be windy over the Pacific Ocean. So that was not enjoyable. But we're back in Australia. We're ready to roll. <laughs> and Sally, I will I will mention uh, American Airlines also lost Victor Hovland's clubs this week. So I just want to get that on the record. <laughs> we're, we're cutting this whole part out, so it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, welcome. Thank you. Well, yeah, wanted to have you on preview some of the Aussie Sandbelt summer, as well as uh, kind of you had a really, really insightful piece. Uh, I guess a couple weeks ago now on kind of what to expect this live off season, and and you've had kind of a front row seat for it. So wanted to uh, you know kind of get an Aussie perspective. We had Clates on the pod a couple weeks ago, um, but you know we've got a lot like a big following down in Australia. And I feel like there's a, there's a definite um, shift in perspective or, or, you know, differing perspective down there versus what we have in the States. Like, what do you think we miss here in the States on live? 
I, th- I think what you miss in the States on Liv is just the, the Australian players and for that matter, international players around the world, they don't have that same loyalty to the PGA Tour. You know, they, they didn't, we didn't grow up with an event in our backyard. You know, if you grew up in Dallas, you had a number of events, probably too many events that you could, you could drive hey, man, to. We're cutting those down though. We missed that, but we had a, <laughs> we have an idea on that front. Right. Right. But yeah, like you, we just don't have that, like that sentimental tie to the PGA tour. And, and we do love it. I, I love the PGA tour. I grew up dreaming of, you know, being a reporter on the tour and telling the stories of the best players in the world. But we, we don't have that loyalty that is so strong that when a huge check comes along, we still think about it. Or when I say we, I mean the professional golfers, not myself. Um, the, the loyalty isn't that strong. It's like the Australian players who leave Australia to play overseas, they, they travel to play for what is them the best place in the world to play golf. And when Mark Leishman left Australia, when Cameron Smith left Australia, when Matt Jones, that was the PGA Tour. And it was nothing personal when, when they decided to leave the PGA Tour to go to live golf. It was just suddenly there's a new place that suits them. Obviously, financially incredible offers to, to go to live golf, but also it gives them a longer off-season. It lets them use their spare... Like, it might not be that that much spare time in the end when you think about it, but it's more about being able to commit that spare time to certain things in Australia, to go home and see grandparents and, and all that sort of stuff. So... I think that's the number one thing people miss, uh, like Americans at least, and, and and Americans don't miss much. Like it, that you're pretty clued on to to what Australians would feel about, you know, the tour. But I, I think that's just the number one thing. Yeah. I, my reaction to that. Yeah, sorry, so I, I I would very much expect the the PGA, the exactly what you said about the PGA Tour to be true, right? I mean, you would go to go play the best you know, either some combination of the best competition or the best money, right? Like that's where you would go to go play. Like, I guess where it kind of just breaks my heart and where, when I tune in to watch Cam Smith on live, it feels like such a waste of talent. Like, cause they're not playing on, you're not playing in the most competitive environment anymore. Maybe that's where the, the golf ends up eventually yet. It's, it's very clearly the financial part of that one out, right. In the terms of a shitload of money was paid out to these guys to go do it yet. Gosh, man, I really enjoy watching Cam Smith compete, and it just like sucks to not see that on the PGA Tour anymore. And that's where, like, I I, I guess my perspective on that is I I don't have any loyalty necessarily to the PGA Tour, yet I see that as the best likely option currently for competitive golf. Um, maybe in 10, 5, 10 years that has changed. I just don't know if I have the patience for that. Is kind of where I, where I sit on that on that spectrum. Yeah, exactly. And, and 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 I agree with you. You don't necessarily have to have a sentimental tie to the PGA Tour as an American to still disagree with Cameron Smith going to live golf. And and I absolutely agree that like, you know, I I've developed a good relationship with Cam. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his like you guys. I just like watching the I love watching the guy play golf. I'm devastated that he's not going to be able to have a chance to win Memorial for the foreseeable future or Torrey Pines or Riviera, where I really thought he was going to win in his career. Like that, that breaks my heart. But at the same time, I think we've all learned through this divide with Live Golf that professional golfers don't view golf the way we do it. And, and that's been more evident than ever. To a lot of them, it is a job. And, and I, like you and I would just dream of waking up one day and being able to swing the golf club like Dustin Johnson just for the, on the range for one hour. But to them, it's, it's, it's like they don't, they don't love golf. They, they enjoy it. They know they're really good at it. It's a means to earn a lot of money and set up their family for, for generations, but they don't obsess over the memorial and Riviera like like you and I and everyone on this podcast does. So I think that's sort of like it's been a, a slight awakening for, for a lot of fans. And for Cam Smith, it's 
he values the majors and for and the players' championship for that matter more than anything in golf. And outside of that, he was always open to playing wherever was was the most enjoyable for him. It's outside of the majors. Golf is not really about money for Cameron Smith. It's about the camaraderie and the bonds with team players and and sort of connections back to Australia. And he just didn't get that uh, with the PGA Tour. Sadly, like even when he moved over, he was he was fifty fifty whether he he was really enjoying living in America and playing golf, golf in America. For the first three months of his PGA Tour career, he didn't go inside a single locker room. His caddy, Sam Pinfold, used to go in, grab whatever he needed from the, from the locker rooms and, and head straight out to the range. And Cam would literally drive from, walk from the range, uh, the, the car out to the range until he got comfortable in that PGA Tour environment. So for him, it's, it's more about like, he's really excited by a, a new frontier. And whether you agree that's the right frontier with Live Golf, I think Cam is excited by a new challenge and, uh, for him, it was a bit of a free kick. He has five years' worth of exemptions into the majors, as we know it, you know, without the major organisations making their stances known. But for him, it was like, I get to do something exciting. I get to spend three months in Australia and getting paid handsomely to do all of the above. And also, I, I could be part of something that in 20 years' time was seen as as a revolutionary league. Who, who knows? But that's I would imagine that's, that's the way he's thinking. On the Australian front, like what – I guess live-wise, there's going to be one live event there. I, yeah. I, I heard a rumor through the grapevine. Somebody reached out on DMs. He said, said third leg Greg is, is flying into Adelaide. It's just uh, announced today. actually tonight. <laughs> Are they just announced? Just announced okay. it tonight, yeah, actually. It's, uh, what is it, Orange something golf club? Did I see that? Grange. The Grange, yeah. The Grange, Grange. yeah. Which, which actually coincidentally has a, a funny sentimental tie to Greg Norman. That was where he won his first ever professional event. In 1976, so they're sort of going back there, and he's bringing his own tournament um, to to the place where he started his his winning career. And yeah, they they announced that. So that that's actually going to go up against the Zurich, which is which is really interesting because in a way, if if you were a live fan, you would say, well, this is this is going to expose the weaknesses and the flaws of the Zurich Classic and the team's format and why that event isn't as good as it could be. And then on the other side, it's like, well, it's kind of two weeks after the Masters. Is that really appropriate? Can we can we just let golf you know settle down after the Masters for a couple of weeks before we get into stuff like this again? So I don't know how I feel about it sitting in that late April schedule, but Australia's getting a golf tournament for a long time. It's been starved of top tier professional golf. The world's best players are going to be heading to Adelaide. Adelaide has a sand belt that's kind of similar to the Melbourne sand belt, um, and it'll get people talking about golf. So it's it's hard to be angry about it. I'm not thrilled with how this Australian event has turned out, but you know. They get, they get to watch some of the world's best. So it's, it's going to be good. Are there other like Asian tour events that are going to pop up as well in Australia? Uh, kind of as a, as like a little cottage around that one, uh, kind of do like an Australian swing in the spring there or no. I, I would say so. And, and based on the schedule, I, I would guess that it's going to come after that live event. So, you know, whoever decides amongst those 48 players who wants to hang around in Australia, will go and play some of those international series events. But but I, I believe that when when Liv were sort of courting Cam and Mark Leishman, I, I think the idea was to always have more events other than just the, the Liv event. And in an ideal world, they, they would let Cam Smith sort of design and, and you know that, that event to suit himself and, and to look like how he would want a golf tournament to look like. There, there are no details on that just yet. Um, if I had to guess, it would be in Queensland. It would be in his backyard and more family and friends would get to watch him play golf, which they haven't been able to do very often. But that, that's the idea, is to to entice these players to come down for, for more than just one week, yeah. 
I think what's so interesting about that is, and I really like the, all the perspective on cam and kind of the fish out of water feeling on the PJ tour. I think that's all super interesting, but it's also a little, I almost wonder if the push and pull has gone too far in the wrong direction as far as appealing to the players, because like you said, you know, cam, we want to give you an opportunity to design, you know, a tournament that the way you would want it to look is like, well, the way Cam would want us to look and the way that I would want us to look are probably two very different things. And that's why yeah. I haven't had any interest in going to a live event or honestly watching them for more than 10 or 15 minutes. The guys look like they're having a fucking great time, but like, I don't care about that. Yeah. And so I, I'm just curious, Evan, from your perspective, obviously you've been to at least one event. I know you went to the Doral event. I don't know if you went to any others, but I'm curious what it has felt like on the ground to you and and where that push and pull kind of nets out and and i know that's kind of looking into the crystal ball a ways down the road but does it feel at all like catering to the wrong stuff or like who's going to kind of be left holding the bag on this if you're if you're catering to all of these guys and and kind of what they're looking for instead of kind of what actual fans are looking for yeah interesting point you bring up and, and I, I tend to agree that what a, what a tour player wants and what i want as a golf fan are, are two different things and we see that often with golf course design like what a top <laughs> right. player thinks is a great golf course is not necessarily what the four of, or the five of us think is a four of us think is a great golf course and a deficiency um, of the pga tour if we're in the interest of full disclosure here like that also falls into what they have given us from an entertainment perspective exactly yeah so when, when it comes to like the running of an event I, um dj I, absolutely like it, you you would be you would be foolish to, to design an event that caters around just the players because what they want is not necessarily going to be sustainable long-term. But I would say that they haven't done that. They've actually catered this to, to like the 18 to 30-year-old beer-drinking, you know, sports fan that wants to, might not necessarily love golf, but wants to be part of like this new dramatic league that's kind of disrupting world golf. And, and they want it, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's like a similar crowd, I would imagine, to like the darts crowd in England or around Europe. Like, I don't think any of them are hardcore darts fans, but they want to go for the party, for the atmosphere, and to say that, hey, I was a part of this. And I think some of the sports fans in America, they know how disruptive Live has been, and they just want to say that, I went to it, and it was, you know, it was a party. It wasn't as bad as the media are telling us. It was that sort of stuff. So I think they're catering to that crowd, and that, that's what I noticed in – I went to Boston to answer your question, DJ. I, I went to the Boston event and, and the Miami event. The Boston event felt a bit more like authentic competition – even though it, it sort of wasn't, but it, but it felt a lot more like legitimate than, than Miami did. Just, just being at Doral, which is a fucking terrible golf course, and <laughs> having Donald Trump there and just, just this circus of like wealthy white celebrities and stuff, it just, it just felt awkward for me um, as someone who wasn't like you know, a player or an official or anything like that. It was still a lot of fun. I, I will say that about Miami. It was, it was fun to watch. Each competition day was, was, was pretty exciting. The players were having a great time, but I just felt like the crowd like made me like uncomfortable in a way. Whereas in Boston, it felt like just people who loved sport, um, and they, and they were, you know like they were much drunker than a PGA Tour crowd. They were <laughs> <laughs> they were younger than a PGA Tour crowd, but they were having fun, and you know they were. So, it, it looked like people who don't usually go to golf tournaments, and and I, and if you're going to chalk up a victory to live golf, I think that was one of them. Um, For sure. So so. Yeah, but if, if they go to better golf courses, live golf, and we, we haven't seen the schedule that they're going to reveal for next year, but if they start going to some more serious golf courses that aren't just kind of thought about in the commercial sense, I think that's where they could maybe exploit a hole that the PGA Tour has left by not going to great golf courses. That remains to be seen. It was fun. 
it, it was not going to be the serious and legitimate competition of the PGA Tour, but they were leaning into it. Boston felt like, hey, we're not, we're not trying to trying to be the PGA Tour. Everyone, everyone thinks we're trying to copy the PGA Tour or that we're trying to be a rival to it, but they're actually trying to go the opposite way with the music and the concerts and the shotgun starts. The shotgun starts actually, in, in my opinion, that, that Sunday in Boston was one of the more exciting Sundays in golf this year. And whether you like that or not, they, they produced that. That leaderboard felt like it was easier, easier to produce a, a, a good winner and a good story than some of the sleepier events on the PGA Tour calendar. Miami, I felt like it took a little bit of a step backwards in terms of the legitimacy, but the entertainment was was ramped up tenfold. It was you can't help but you know acknowledge that that the live teams finale was, was an exciting event and it was really watchable on Sunday and and that's that was sort of my takeaway from it. What's been the the uh, media experience on site at these? Yeah, see, see that's that's where I, I think live lets itself down a little bit. Is are they are they still doing the drink robot or was that just at one? <laughs> That was that was just that a, was just in London. In London, yeah, I, I didn't okay. go to London, but I did see videos of that, and and I would have loved that in Miami because because that, <laughs> that would have been cool. Um, but yeah, it's like it's it's difficult because I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it the opposite of a PJ Tour event, super casual and funny, and and I understand where they're going. But at the same time, it's just so awkward when there's people who are trying to create funny content, hashtag content. And then journalists who are like trying to write stories and may- maybe give this thing some legitimacy. Like if if serious reporters are asking serious questions and the golfers have to answer them, it may legitimize the entire operation just that little bit more. But when you've got reporters amongst comedians and YouTube influencers, it's just it doesn't mesh well. It doesn't look good or sound good on camera. And and, and the press conference um, after DJ and, and the four aces had got their their victory on, on Sunday in Miami was an example of that. It was kind of thrown together last minute. They walked off the stage with their champagne bottles and into a gym. And there were, there was like family and you know, officials and, and just live fans in the back of us kind of like, you know, testifying to like everything DJ said. And I was like, we don't need to be dunked on. Like we're, we're just reporters. We're not out to get live. We're just here to tell the stories and, Everything DJ was saying was kind of like, you know, slam dunk on you, man. And then he was getting some fans in the back going, yeah, tell him, DJ. And I was like, we, we don't it's like need this. like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, like, like, we don't, no one needs this. I don't need this as a reporter. Liv doesn't need this as a tour who's trying to get off the ground. And I think constructive feedback will be provided. And maybe next season it'll, it'll look a bit more segmented where reporters have their time and the influencers and the comedians have their time. And they'll produce a product that, that maybe looks a bit more polished than what it was this season. That's that's what we said a couple of weeks ago. Is it's hard not to think that one of the biggest mistakes they've made is just like they can't get out of their own way from just being like massive dickheads. And you don't have to weigh in on that. I'm just I'm speaking from from where I'm at. Is like man, if if you just just had a little bit of humility and like you know, hey, we're different from the PJ Tour. We hope you like it, and we're just we're we're out here. Uh, you know, doing the best we can to put up an alternative product. But instead, it's just like, fuck those guys. We're going to run antithesis to everything that they're doing. And it's like, well, look at the players that that attracted and then look at the crowd that that attracts and then look at, and it all just adds up into this kind of like eye roll of an experience, like like a little bit of what you're talking about. So it is it is so weird to me that, man, if they could just get out of their, their own way and produce something like the Boston 
experience, man, I would be kind of fucking terrified if I was the PJ Tour. It's like but extremism the, in politics, though. Really, it's it, like you, yeah. you've d- divided, you've drawn the line so hard. Like you've done this whole thing that is such a middle finger. Like when you have like the, the dirty Mike, the, the golf editor, like <laughs> tweeting out like dissing tweets verified now about the, the players uh, like the actual players championship in the field and how live stole all those players like you've you've drawn the lines like and it's really hard for people to jump across those lines like it's super hard for like for people that are against this thing to like jump back to this side and be like oh you know what i was dead wrong on like all of these things when they all still exist especially with norman at the head like that's the thing is and you know that's what's been thrown out there this week which has been shot down as well but story from jamie corrigan at the telegraph was that mark king was is said to uh, is quote is known to have attended several live events this season and has understood that the American has met with Yasser Al Ramayan, the governor of the Saudi Public Investment Fund, uh, which is funding the Rebel Circuit. Uh, if a deal is struck to bring King into the live hot seat, it will cause alarm on traditional tours because King has such a strong record of success in the industry. Also, Bob Herrick comes out to say, uh, you know, Majid Al Saror said, Greg Norman is our CEO and commissioner. Any suggestion that changes are being made to Greg's title or role is patently false. Um, I have no reason to distrust either reporter on this, so I don't know exactly what's happening here other than what do you know about the future of Greg Norman at the helm of Liv? I, I would say he's definitely going to be there next year. Um, th- those rumors, maybe they had some substance to them. Maybe, maybe there were things internally that Liv maybe weren't happy about. I, I don't know that. But uh, Greg sat in on a press conference with us reporters when, when I was still in Florida two weeks ago, and every, every part of the language that he was using was, was that he was going to be there next year. And, and I think if he was going to be ousted for, for Mark King you know, in the coming months, I don't think he would have been flown down to Australia by live to announce this event. What, what I could see happening, and no one's told me this, it's just me guessing, is that maybe, maybe they both eventually work for Live Golf. Maybe Mark King has a sort of role that, is like the general manager of football and then Greg Norman is the CEO of the team or, or whatever it may look like. But if you were live golf, it's not like you would want Mark King on your team, wouldn't you? Like he brings a wealth of expertise, relationships and connections and legitimacy as a businessman. Uh, so I, I think def, Greg is definitely going to be there next year. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he's going to be ousted. And I, and I think that if Liv were looking at what he has been able to achieve this year, and, and you do have to give, Greg, some credit where it's due. He got this thing off the ground when when people thought that it wasn't even going to be a single tournament. And there's 13 of the world's top 50. It's kind of you could you could look at the the victories and the defeats that he's had this year, and, and you would some of the defeats. You know, he's made some comments. I'm sure that he's regret and and maybe set live live back a little bit. But at the same time, he, he's got this season that actually got the world talking about golf more than it ever has. So. Either way you look at it, I, I think Greg has had a lot of wins, some defeats, and I think he'll definitely be there next year. What do Australians think about Greg? Like, like really, even pre-live, like going into live, what was the the uh, kind of consensus opinion? It's kind of like I, I wouldn't say polarizing. I would just say it depends on what age group you ask. If if you ask anyone over the age of forty or thirty-five. He, he's he's a hero. He's he's the guy who carried the torch. He carried the PJ Tour for for fifteen years in between, you know, Nicholas and, and Tiger, and uh, and, they, and they just love it. He can't do wrong in their eyes. But then there are younger generations who see the way he's used social media and you know some shirtless and and naked photos and whatnot, and they just can't identify with that. And maybe that's Greg becoming a little bit more Americanized and confident in himself and like happy to throw himself out there and his personality out there. A lot of himself uh, but, out there. 
but that that doesn't resonate with a younger generation who who don't appreciate the profile he kind of earned to be able to do that if that makes sense yeah what's uh i just keep thinking about cam setting up a tournament like all right we're gonna have my tournament and it's gonna be a biathlon it's gonna be both fishing and golf (laughs) you gotta gotta go catch fish round one is fishing round two is golf round three is fishing round four is golf that would be Uh, incredible yeah so talking about the team element how much do you think these teams change heading into next year as in like the players going to yeah as in the players like you know let's talk a about the players and then b like you know about how much the team focus like it sounds like the teams are going to travel together and they're going to have a team physio and and a you know kind of a fifth guy on the team that's that's kind of you know an alternate of sorts like just kind of the whole ecosystem of the teams yeah i think it's going to look considerably different i I think there's going to be a lot of movement of players going to other teams because um you know with seven i'm being told that it's seven spots that are available for next season for for top players to come across to live so if if you're going to get um seven players and, and there's only 12 teams that, that's a fair bit of movement. And there's already talk about whether Taylor Gooch might leave the four races and that will create a bit of drama. But but I think they want movement. I think Live Golf wants movement because that makes it appealing in the way that, you know, players transferring clubs in the English Premier League during the transfer window is interesting. So I, I would I would suggest a lot of shuffling around. Um, even some of the teams that are based on nationalities may shuffle as well. They may lose some players from their country and gain players from their country. And then I think in general, just the, the business operation of those franchises is going to look a lot more like what they're designing it to be, which is the players are going to live in the same city, which is, which is kind of bizarre. I've already heard about, you know, coaches moving interstate, you know, and, and, and facilities being thought about, purchased to, for the team to practice together, get worked on by physios together, and then hop on whatever private jet or, or whatever they might do to, to travel to the next tournament. And I think it's going to be kind of like these traveling pods that will manufacture that kind of rivalry. So I, I think it's going to be pretty exciting that there's still some question marks that remain about it in terms of like, like for me, a big one is, is apparel and, and logos and how, how that's going to work because the the, C, the, uh, the the president of Live sat us down in Miami and explained how the franchise concept will, will look like next year. But one thing that sort of wasn't clear was you're going to have these top players who have like what they called legacy deals with apparel companies and then they are expected to sort of wear the, the team uniform and maybe give up some of those logos and some of those, um, you know, sponsorship deals that they've acquired over the years. And it wasn't clear who's who's going to be giving up deals and who's going to have to wear the team uniform and where there's going to be a compromise. But the, the, the franchise concept, I think they have to lean into it. They have to put all their eggs in that basket because while they may lack the legitimacy and the history and the context of the PGA Tour, the teams thing is where they can find their corner of the golf world and, and market it well and exploit it and maybe, you know, attract a new fan base. That's where they're trying to, is like, you know, reading your columns is like trying to get their, you know, piece of the pie back from a investment standpoint, right? Like they're going to try to sell these off eventually and recoup that $2 billion that they've sunk into this thing, which seems <laughs> Which outrageous. again, again, is just, like I, I don't know how this is not just like floating over this whole conversation. Is like yo, there's like eighteen thousand people watching this on YouTube. <laughs> like, what are we fucking talking about? Like, <laughs> like how, how does any of this work? Unless like, 
I don't know. I, I keep coming back to this whole year was just they're never going to get more press than they got this year with with more players going over and changing and Phil's quotes and all this stuff. And it's just like, man, I've, I haven't run into anybody on the street that's just like, oh, did you watch Live? I fired it up last week. It was amazing. And it's just... It, it I, I don't know. It's really hard to wrap my head around like the actual like what are what are we actually talking about here? Is it on TV in Australia? Like is it? No, no, it it's, it's not. I'm I'm told that like the alternatives to watching live that you know outside of YouTube around the world is are those those sort of Facebook streaming services like DAZN and those kind of networks. There are countries around the world which are showing it on TV at the moment. Um, but but DJ's point is is really interesting because. And, and DJ made a, a good point, I think it was in two episodes ago that, that I listened to, and it was like all the interest I'm finding as a golf fan from, from Liv is tied to the context of their history as a PGA Tour player. That I haven't warmed to a, a golfer just yet who I don't know anything about other than his, his form on the Liv Golf Tour. Everything's well. I'm watching Bryson because Bryson was just on the PGA Tour, and I, I love watching Cam play golf, so maybe he's an exception, but... You know, Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepler, like, I, I don't really care about watching him whether, when there's no overall higher purpose. I'm, I'm just watching it because he's just left the PGA Tour and the implications of doing so. So I think going forward, like, how, how do they keep that interest in-house, so to speak? How, how do they be interesting when they're no longer at war with the PGA Tour? And that was one of the questions I, I put into that, that piece about, like, where, where do you go from here? You've disrupted, and, and that, was a, that was a success for them. So after the disruption and the dust settles, how do they still gain interest? And I, and I think, again, it's all the team franchise stuff. That's how they can manufacture drama in-house within the league itself and not piss off other tours around the world, but still have a bit of, you know, like scandal and, and, and you know, players moving teams and maybe Pat Perez fires off about one of the other live golfers and then there's a bit of a feud and a bit of a beef. Like, I, I don't know, but if I had to guess, I think that's where the hype and the interest is going to come from as they find their corner of, of the golf world, settle into it and aren't sort of at war with the other tours anymore. Which I think is so interesting too. I totally agree with you, Evan, in that like from a, as much as I can wrap my head around like the financial model, that's what it seems like where all the value is going to be driven from is these franchises. But also I, I think it's super interesting and, and kind of underrated to spell out that what we're talking about is basically like leave the PJ tour you have spent, you know, and and put a lot of the like up and coming talent off to the side because that's a whole other conversation, right? But if you're trying to win over Xander Shoffley, for example, coming out and saying like, hey, Xander, I know for 26, 27 years, all you've done is focus on individual golf and stroke play. I want to beat the guy next to me. I am by myself. Okay, you need to put all that aside. And now you're playing team golf. Like that's what all we're going to focus on, essentially, except for the four tournaments a year that you actually care about. And then, like, now you got to pivot back into this whole other thing. It's just such a weird disconnect that they're going to be kind of asking players to do. You know what I mean? And that's where it just, I'm not dismissing any of this stuff. It just constantly kind of like, it just seems like there's a lot at odds with, with each other. You know what I mean? I hear what you're saying, but like, at least from my experience covering Boston and Miami, they, they really are buying into that team's yeah. concept. You know, the, the the teams are practicing together, eating together, sitting by the pool in Miami, having a couple of beers after the practice round or the pro-am together. And they've been able to give up that it's all about me individual component to the PGA Tour, maybe easier than we thought they would. Yeah. I could understand how you might think that you've done something for 27 years, like you said, with Xander Shoffley or whoever it might be. 
you've, you've done something for 27 years and we're asking you to push that to the side and suddenly become a team sports guy. But I think a lot of them, in a way, have missed playing. Yeah. Like, they, they played might be, a lot of teams. Might be a golf, positive like, more than anything. Yeah. 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 Like, like uh, uh, Joaquin Neiman said to me, he said, you know, I really missed playing teams golf. I played a lot of teams golf with the Chilean national team. We traveled around and, and there was a lot of camaraderie and we're sort of getting that again. And I'm, and I'm sure that's not the one, the number one reason why all of these players went across to live golf, but it's certainly a byproduct and an off spin that, that they are enjoying. And, and from what I saw, the, the team's aspect, they are legitimately enjoying and they are legitimately looking at the leaderboards and thinking like, oh, what, what are my teammates doing? And then there's an example that I didn't really think about until Mark Leachman's caddy, Matt Kelly, who's, who's you know a, a friend of you guys, and he said that on the final day, Leach was like, I don't know, I think he was like four over par through nine holes or three over par through nine holes. And he was headless. He was furious that he was letting his team down after playing really well the first two days. And he sort of said to, to Matty Kelly, you know, fuck it. Like, this is a new nine-hole match. If I go two under par in this last seven holes or whatever, I can at least contribute to the team. I, I can help take the team forwards, uh, but I can't. even though I can't reverse what I've done in the past 11 holes, I can actually get that total of the team score you know, one stroke more under par and maybe get us to second, maybe even get us into a playoff. And it legitimately inspired him for those last seven holes. And, and that's- I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that's like, you know, only one guy wins the golf tournament, but knowing that, you know, cool, you you would have otherwise missed a cut, but it keeps you grinding. It keeps you in the, you know, it keeps you in the mix, keeps you in the tournament. There's something to play for. Like, that's a pretty powerful thing. And that's where, like, yeah, and, I don't, you don't have, like, have to explain to, to me personally, like, team golf is, like, the most fun events that I've played in the last couple of years have been the foursomes event with Neil, just because it's like, you're not doing it by yourself. There's something to, like, not doing something by yourself. Like, I, I, I don't, like, I have no doubt that the players are having a lot of fun, that the team aspect is revitalizing and legitimately a fun part of it. Like, there's something else going on inside your individual golf. I think, like, Coming from a fan's perspective, the, the hurdle, the huge hurdle to clear is like, why would I care about this? Like, why, why, when, and why would I care about this? And I think it's like something that you just can't. Like, we're in the middle of this right now, and I think ten years from now, like if this thing still exists, it'll be a very different conversation when we have a bunch of years of transactions and there's actual, you know, there's team memories maybe with some of these teams and all that. But like in this phase of it, uh, it's still very much of like, I can't, I can't like fake that I would care about the the result of this tournament. Any team event, any individual part of this when it's just like not what I enjoy about golf. Yeah, an example of where reconciliation sort of has worked is the sport of cricket, which is, you know, played by sort of all the Commonwealth nations, my, my, my country of Australia included. And the Indian Premier League, it, like it, it shared a lot of similarities to the business model of live golf. And that was franchise teams tied to cities in India and owned by billionaires who just love the game of cricket. And they wanted to sort of buy the best players and, and have transfers and trades. And that was obviously not something that the International Cricket Council, the ICC, loved because the, all, all the money was being made in test cricket, which is, you know, when, when countries play against each other in series. But they, they all found a way to sort of work the schedule where every year for, I think it's 12 weeks or 14 weeks, the best cricket players on the planet go to India and they get paid a lot of money and everyone is sort of okay with it. And then they go back to playing serious cricket, test cricket, domestic cricket for the remainder of the year. Now, those guys are accustomed to playing eight, nine months of the year. So, so maybe it's easier for them to swallow. For golfers, the, the thought of playing 32 weeks a year 
you know, most of that on the PGA Tour and 10 or 14 on the Live Tour is probably too daunting for them to to even agree to. But that's the only way I could see reconciliation going forward is is Live just having its own schedule at the end of the year. And I, and I couldn't see the PGA Tour giving that up because at the moment there's nothing really in it for the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour has everything in place. They don't necessarily have to concede any ground or any territory to Live unless stars keep leaving the PGA yeah. Tour. Then they might have to consider... Well, is there anything? Can we come to the table and have peace talks? But at the moment, I don't know what would be in it for PGA Tour to reach out and extend an olive branch. But the only way I can see reconciliation happening is Live having its own window in some part of the year. What do you, Evan? You know, based on everything we've kind of talked about, you think at this time next year, you think Live has more momentum or less momentum? It's a great question. It would be hard to have more momentum when you have disrupted the entire ecosystem of world golf and signed 13 of the top 50 players in the world. I, I think if it had more as, as much momentum as it did this year, that would be a, a victory. And I don't necessarily think live golf needs as much momentum this time next year. I think it could be happily kind of plateauing and just like starting to settle into its, into its corner of the world of golf. I don't necessarily think it needs to create more headlines or disrupt anymore it needs to start to refine its product. It's kind of like a bell curve. Like it got to the summit and now it needs to really polish up that level that it's on at the moment. So I think we're definitely past peak momentum. I mean, after after Cam, you know, there was a bunch of rumors still of big splashes to come and they just haven't come. And once once it wasn't about these new guys that were in it, like and I know it's up against football and it was weird times at night, like viewership absolutely tanked in the fall. I mean, it was, you know, at least from the viewership numbers that we can see, which is, you know, YouTube on us in Australia, UK, United States markets that they want to win. Like they, I know a lot of them have, have touted, have touted, you know, we're on this many TV stations. Like, well, you definitely want to win these U S markets. There's a reason why you've talked about TV deals for on repeat and it cannot be helping you get a TV deal when no one is choosing to watch it on YouTube. And so I, I that's why I'm curious, like what happens this fall. And I think like the, the rumors that have, I guess this winter, this off season, if you will, the rumors that have been, kind of even floated have been super easy to shut down. Like they tried to float Xander and, and can't lay to it, which was like almost immediately shot down by pretty much everyone. And I'm, I'm kind of left wondering like, is, is that it? Like, are they going to be able to, you know, come up with any, anything else this fall? Do you see the dam breaking in any way? Do you see a new wave of guys? Do you see any top guys that you think are, are suspect to potentially, you know, have a leap? I do think that if they do get any one of those, that there is a possibility of the dam breaking, but I don't know who who crosses the picket line at this point. I, I don't see a dam breaking again. I think they've signed the majority of the players that that are going to be on the live tour going forward. I think there'll be a handful of decent names, you know, signed in in this in this next two months. But I think Live Golf is quite happy with the stable that it's got at the moment. It's more about the product itself. Like we now have the stars. How do we how do we sort of commercialize that, make it a, a, an autonomous financial entity, but also a, a compelling product. And, and I think that is all the franchise stuff. I, I just think it needs to really lean into what it knows it has that is different from the PGA Tour and just absolutely fucking go for it. So I, I don't see a, 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 top bunch of, a top bunch of players coming across. I, I think the, the penalties in place are so severe at the moment that I think those who are willing and brave enough or, you know, you would call them courageous enough to go and do that have done that. And I think both are now going to sit and settle on their sides and just see how this plays out. It's funny. I think the, uh, like, I just keep thinking about what, what happens in, th- cause I assume all these are like three to five year deals, 
right? Like what happens in three years when there's a mass exodus from like, you know, some of these guys have gotten the bag and they want to retire or in five years when, you know, your contract's up and cool. Like, are are they going to layer in a bunch of new college players or, you know, a bunch of new Andy Ogletrees who just won Tasted DJ, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, but well, it's just like one, just one what, where exactly? No, <laughs> Asian tour event in um, Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Ah, ah, well, that's an egg on my face. But it's like that's that's really the next big thing that I see is like that year three kind of. Hey, how do you like replenish or refresh this thing once you've already got like you've already paid all this upfront money? If the franchises aren't aren't able to pay a bunch of you know upfront fees and live has to subsidize it again like what's the you know at what point does that money dry up i guess right yeah it's a good question like i think there's so much unknown until we really see the the pathway flesh itself out the the international series is going to promote i think i think it's three the top three on their order of merit to live so they're going to I, I guess if you were to to go into bat for live and say well they're going to replenish with a bunch of stars it, it would be to say that at least the top three players in Asia are going to be progressing to live golf. And whether that's enough to satisfy some of the top players who, who you know, like I, I don't know if it's Lee Westwood or Ian Poulter who just decide at the age of 48 or whatever it might be that enough's enough and I'm going to retire. Can, can you replace the star power of Lee Westwood or Ian Poulter or those kind of guys? I don't know. But I think that they are confident that, you know, in, in the next 10 years, the guys who are coming up through Asia are going to be their own little marketable stars maybe not to the american golf audience but the international golf audience mm-hmm. and i think they're going to really rely on that that pathway with with the international series on the asian tour let's let's talk uh so we've got the aussie pga kind of switching gears we've got aussie pga at royal queensland we've got aussie open at kingston heath and victoria uh are people just frothing at the mouth down there to have some professional golf after several years of of you know, nothingness with, with the country being locked down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Frothing at the mouth is, is probably a really good way to put it because, you know, like the, the Australian open, I think is the fifth oldest golf tournament, golf championship in the world. And it, and it was canceled twice. It hasn't happened since world war two. So, so for the fans who are really wanting to watch our national championship go ahead, it's now it's, it's almost sort of worth the wait in a sense in that, it, it didn't happen for two years and now it's going to happen in this world first where the men and the women are going to play together for the same prize money on the same golf courses on the Melbourne Sandbelt. And of those two fields, we've got the, the reigning US Women's Open champion, uh, Minji Lee, and we've got the reigning British Open champion in Cam Smith kind of not going head to head, but certainly sharing the limelight of that week. So they're absolutely frothing for that. But at the same time, the, the Australian PGA Championship, which is going to be the week before that at Royal Queensland, that's kind of carving out its own little identity as this cool event on a cool golf course that was redesigned by Mike Clayton. It's going to host the, the Olympic golf event in 10 years' time. And that's that's shaping up to be a nice little event there in itself. So the, the two weeks are going to be awesome. Um, it's it's kind of nice in the, the, the place in the schedule that it sits gets a lot of attention from Americans, except for the Australian Open, which will kind of go up against Tiger's event in the Bahamas. That is unfortunate, but I, I think they're going to be enormous crowds, you know, 15,000 a day, which is huge for those. It doesn't sound like a lot to a PGA Tour event, but 15,000 a day at Royal Queensland and at the Australian Open down in Melbourne, that's massive. That, that'll look huge on TV and there'll be massive amounts of atmosphere and hopefully, you know, in an ideal world, we get Cam winning the men's draw and, and Minji winning the, the women's draw and, 
um, sort of cementing their incredible 2022s. I feel like if that happens, they need to like have them play off. Like a head-to-head <laughs> playoff for the true bell. Like yeah. Australian title. Open title. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's so. it's going to be so cool because like Kingston Heath is, is one of the best courses on the planet, in my opinion. And to see the world's best players navigate their way around that is just so awesome. And especially, it's going to be so interesting to see the different distances that the women are having into greens, which are, you know can be so treacherous on the sand belt. But those approach shots are, are nuts. And you know, imagine like a final round where you've got Cam Smith hitting a nine iron into the fifth, uh, you know, into the seventh green at Royal, at, at uh, Victoria Golf Club, and then Minji Lee hitting a six iron, and just sort of. I know as a golf nut, just watching the different trajectories and, and spin and the, and the way they approach certain pins with slightly different clubs, it's going to be incredible. And, and I can't wait for it. Awesome. I guess last question, any, uh, there was only one Australian player in the PGA tour event this week. That was Jason day. Now, of course, Minwoo Lee was over <laughs> in, uh, uh, South Africa, but like, that's crazy, right? Like there's always, there's always at least a half dozen, you know, in a PGA tour event. Is there another wave of Australian guys kind of coming up to replenish the Australian guys on tour? Um, you know, whether that's the Ryan Ruffles of the world, if they, you know, if he gets his card or, you know, even guys younger than that, kind of the next wave, like who, who's, who's coming through the coffers? Yeah, it, no, it's a really good question. It's always hard to, to know if we can replace the crop that included Jason Day and Adam Scott, Mark Leishman and Cam Smith. Like that's, that, that's hard to, to get the crystal ball and say that that's going to happen again for, for 10 years or so. But some of the really good players that are coming through, a guy called Harrison Endicott from, from Sydney, he just got his PJ Tour card through the Corn Ferry Finals. He's been getting a couple of top 10s and he's really playing well. And there's a guy that just won uh, the Asia-Pacific Amateur, Harrison Crow, uh, who also won the St. Andrews Lynx Trophy. And he, he's really exciting because he's just got this sort of like Cam Smith-style attitude where he just absolutely goes for it. He's aggressive. He doesn't really think about the repercussions uh, and there's guys like that. And, and then there's, there's a guy called Jeffrey Guan. Like, write that down. That He, he is going to be an absolute superstar. He won the he won the Junior Players Championship at, at Sawgrass just a couple of months ago. He's, play, he's, he's 16 years of age, still an amateur, and, like, playing pro tournaments in Australia and getting top 10s and leading through 36 holes. And he's just an absolute wizard from driver through to putter. There's no real, like, you know, weakness in his game and there's no real, like, strength. Everything is just so pure. He's definitely one to watch in the next few years, but but I think there's a there's a good crop crop coming through. I don't know if they're going to win the Open at St Andrews, but I think they're going to be really exciting and 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 good for Aussies to cheer on the PJ Tour. That's for sure. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for all this, Evan. This has been great, great hearing your perspective. Yeah, thanks for jumping on. No, and, no. Uh, we'll have to do it again uh, sometime around, uh, maybe sometime again in a couple months here after the, the Aussie swing. Sounds good, guys. Thank, thanks for having me on. Cheers. When you're back in town, uh, assuming American Airlines and Qantas get you oh back. I'm not looking forward to that, but hopefully we can we can fly through Hawaii and cover the Hawaii swing, and that, that'll make it all worthwhile. There you go. As an American uh, Airlines uh, loyalist, I'm going to go ahead and have to dump you here, Evan. Thank you very much for joining. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Holly. Cheers. All right, we got a few things to clean up here uh, as we go to wrap. Who knows? Who knew we'd get this much time out of the Houston Open recap? Um, Pat Perez did an interview this past week um, on the Son of Butch podcast with Claude Harmon. Son of Butch or son of son of, of Butch? I, I, I don't know, but uh, a lot of the headlines that came of it were Pat explaining that Phil did something unexplainable to him or across the line that can never be uncrossed. It is the rumor that has been everywhere, really, in the golf world. 
And uh, I still, we're not going to tell what it is. I can't believe it's not fully out there yet. Everyone knows about it. Um, but is it's I'm just bringing this up as a shock of how this has not been officially published and reported on yet because pretty much everyone in the golf world and many people it's got so many DMs this week that were like, yo, you're not going to believe this Phil story. It's like, yeah, dude, like it's out there. It is absolutely out there. But yeah, that's something that... Um, definitely, definitely a good way for, for some, you know, to really squash something Yes, to, to really make it go away. It's just the most famous person did something so horrible. I'm not going to tell you, don't ask me about it. <laughs> don't ask me about it, but it's fucked up. It's super fucked up. That that's a good way for people to just kind of forget about, about, you know, asking about that. And then, and then your boy, Matt Janela just posts, if you know, you know, on, on, uh, Insta, on his Insta story with it. It's like. Well, I, All right, man. I don't want to tell the story either because I don't want the tracker accounts to report it as us reporting it and and whatnot. And it's it's not ours to tell. Like you got to do the actual journalism on there and you know get comment from Phil and all that. Which uh, you know he now plays for a tour that doesn't really require that. So I doubt we ever get that full story. So, but Solly, speaking of the tracker accounts, I'm I'm worried about the tracker accounts. They're warring right now. There's some some. Some tracker accounts going at each other right now. Well, they can't have that. They're blowing so much smoke this past. I mean, they all try to do the, you know, the a lot of them that I named last week were trying to do the cam can't lay rumors, and shockingly, what do you know? It comes out uh, Brian Wacker had it that Xander denied or Xander or can't lay. One of them denied that the lift thing was happening, and you know, pretty much confirmed that it was uh, all smoke, and it's just something we're gonna have to deal with basically all winter long. First of all, no one's gonna be doing any committing. I don't think in the near term when. You, the next event is not until February. Like I, I people are going to be wanting to stall this out as long as possible. <laughs> but their quotes were like, "We're going to get it done before the end of the year." Yeah, I guess people, are, which they very well may, but they're not going to like come out and say who you know, uh, you know. Uh, please make fun of me for the next four months. They're going to keep wanting to get right. world there's ranking only, points. There's only one bub. There's only one bub out there. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Coke and Roger Maltby are out at NBC at the end of this year golf week had this uh they will not return in 2023 um the decision was made to refresh the team for the future the pnc will be their last event uh Maltby was originally told that 2021 would be his last year but with bones going back off the air to go back on with justin thomas uh he was renewed for 2022 but not renewed for 2023 uh and the gary coke part was i guess uh was was news but uh, what's your guys? What's your guys' reaction to this? Uh, there was, you know, some lamenting among media people uh, involved in this, and I'm, I'm curious your guys' take on this. I mean, Deej, I think I speak for both of us when yeah, we're we're both cokeheads, massive uh, cokeheads, coke fiends. I don't have a super strong opinion. I I really like both of them. They've been a massive part of my golf watching for the last, you know, however long I've watched golf. Uh, I, I think so. I think you said this earlier that I don't. I don't think they're the problem with golf on TV, but I, I also don't think they're the solution to what ails golf on TV. So I, that, that's kind of where I'm at. I think Gary Coke, you know, is still very, very, very additive to the yeah. broadcast. I think Rod, you're kind of not really putting him in the best position to succeed, having him kind of try to wind through crowds and keep up with, you know, keep up with on the ground reporting and stuff like that. That's a fucking hard job, man. That that's, that's really tough to be getting in and out of the cart and going up to see lies and all that stuff. I think that's not really putting him in the best spot, but I think Coke's got a lot of really good insights. I think it is a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a weird fallacy maybe that like by refreshing the broadcast, all of a sudden you're going to like bring in all these young fans. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. That said, I don't think it's going to hurt either. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, a nothing, really to me i think seeing how 
it could. It could. I think olds, seeing yeah. how freaking good uh I think seeing how freaking good John Wood has been yeah. immediately is kind of a like, oh yeah, maybe we should do this more. And Smiley. Uh I think Smiley's really, really good. Um I think similar on the CBS side, I think Colt Nost has done a really good job. So you know, I, I it's a heck of a career. Everybody should be so lucky to to have a, a career like that. I'm definitely not crying on the way out, but I applaud them for a lot of great work. Here's what I think. Yeah, I feel I like think some of the is... issues aren't just like they're not they're not announcer or commentary right. based. They're like NBC like slack cutting and burning right. budget and you know resources and all that. But here's what what kind of dawned on me this past week of how uh, how much Johnny Miller brought out of those guys. Like having Johnny Miller yeah. and those guys interact was great TV. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. And Zinger is not for everyone. I'm not even positive he's for me. He he just brings a different aspect to it, almost kind of like a funny, like folksy aspect to it. Whereas Johnny Miller was like dead serious and gonna speak very directly. And it it it, it kind of sparked really intelligent conversation amongst those guys. And Zinger does just does not facilitate that same thing to the point where I just don't know if they fit in the puzzle anymore. And that's not an indictment of those guys. It's just kind of like, dude, the way you guys are doing it now is just different than when Johnny Miller was there. That's kind of my reaction. Which is really, I wish you hadn't said that. That kind of just made me rethink it. everything. And like, man, we might be building this franchise around a really bad point guard. <laughs> and like that, that might, I don't know if that's it. Well, that's uh, that's Russell the way Westbrook. that like like the way that NBC like philosophically does their broadcasts is very different from CBS to where like NBC everything runs it's all conversations back with with like the 18th hole tower like all right Raj what are you seeing out there Johnny I see this or yeah. Zinger I see this whereas where with CBS it's like they send it out to those guys a little bit more they you know like there there's not as much interplay between between that if that makes sense i i feel like john wood's out there putting up 28 a night which doesn't it doesn't do you much good if zinger's got you know 13 turnovers every every game we're not we're not gonna win <laughs> zinger might be westbrook that's what I said. he's getting up a lot of shots for sure <laughs> uh so yeah i think it yeah I, I think people need to be very prepared for so much to change in the golf world and it might be slow like it, it's not going to happen overnight but shit's going to change. It just it very clearly cannot it, roll into the next year with it looking similar. There's going to, you know, it's not going to change as fast as it should. And it's not going to change as like clearly over the last five years, it's not changed enough. Um, but do you, do you think it's going to change though? Or do you think it's just going to be like a bad facts of like what was there? Like that's, that's where I think it's going to be. Like it's not just like true change. Yeah. Just, I think it's going to be like Smiley's great. And I, I think having him on the broadcast is awesome. But again, like I don't. That's not like a change to me. I think that's still going to be like. I'm this like is I don't think any spec. of the important shit is going to change. No, I just think this is like a very small thing that's going to change. Like the gold golf schedule is going to look different. The events are going to look different. They're going to have to change like graphics. They're going to have to change the way they present their product. Pacing. It's not like going to be immediate. Yes, it's gonna, it's going to change. It has to. It has to. I mean, does it? It really does this time around. Like if it doesn't this time around, then it truly never God, will. I. I, I I don't think it's going to really be fast. I really feel like you're about to have the football pulled out from, well, like who's from under your foot there. Who's going to change it? Like the people That's at the I mean. PGA Tour that have been in their jobs for the last 10 Maybe years? Maybe those jobs I, I, change. The schedule is going to change yeah. for sure. The schedule is definitely going to change. I don't think the telecast is going to change. I think we're like I, I think if it was going to change, they would have changed it over the last fucking sixty years. I think they would never like, have changed over the last sixty years until they absolutely have to. And now is the time they. Absolutely and now have I think to. it's like too late. It's kind of like you're already 
you know, I don't know. Could be. Maybe. It has to change. Thing, things will be different. There, there's no way all these people at the tour keep their jobs over the next four or five years. Like, there's just, there's literally no chance. It can't happen that way. Like, the players are going to instigate change. I don't change. think Data Golf would say no <laughs> chance. I think, I think there's, I think there's a fractional chance that it, that nothing. They're going to get to the point where the players instigate enough change that if things don't change, they're going to ask for leadership replacements. 100%. Maybe. There's no way oh, that those the, regime change, baby. A lot, of, a lot of the players are idiots, though. Also, yeah, but they're go. like starting to turn the corner on at least a, some of these things. Oh, yeah, like Big J, get the fuck out, man. <laughs> I don't know. I think if I'm a player and I'm looking at like what Rory's year has been like, I, I think the last thing I'm doing is like, man, I should get more involved. I need to really t- <laughs> like fuck that, man. Well, that Sally, it kind of goes into the next. I, I'm like, I'm with you. I'm just point. being realistic about like if. Maybe golf, golf we'll TV, see. like that's an example of, you know, golf TV is going away now. Like they're collapsing it into Discovery Plus, I guess. Yeah, but, which is where I'm like, is that a positive change? Like that, that seems like a very negative change. No, I know, but I'm saying like <laughs> yeah. that's like that's kind of the way that like this thing was supposed to be the future. This, I think like, that is a right. positive joint though. venture, but same way that like PGA Tour collapsing into ESPN Plus was definitely a positive. Like now I don't have to pay for ESPN Plus and PGA Tour Live; it all is under one umbrella. And did any, yeah. And did anything yeah, like, like change? Yeah, but based on like <laughs> how they build, broadcast. based on how they build golf TV, I mean, at the start, it was going to be like this massive paradigm shift, bring all the international stuff under one umbrella, you know, outside of the US and, and have this whole headcount and everything like that. And that's like, I think that this whole thing is just giving them license to keep the, you know, keep the best performers from that, but all, but let the rest of them go. And they're, I mean, they're cutting billions of dollars and, in costs over at discovery right like it's you know I, like i i don't think between discovery and like nbc universal comcast like things are going all that well right now <laughs> yeah so, i'm saying for users you know, i don't think it's going to be a i don't know i don't watch we don't have golf tv here in the u.s so i don't know what this product yeah. looks like i just don't think like some people were out there saying like this billion dollar deal is getting torn up and the PJ Tour is losing uh, all this revenue. I do not think that's the case at all. Like the no, rights no, are but, purchased. But I'm just saying, like it's like would would Discovery sign that you know billion dollar a year plus deal moving forward? Fuck no, they wouldn't. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the thing. It's like this stuff. Like all right, yay, we got another eight years or decade of this, you know, of these deals. But like, man, they better figure out how to fix this stuff in the meantime. Because because otherwise it's going to get bleak and like the sports just going to like collapse in upon itself and and fix it while you have an existential threat like yeah. threatening Hovering. to pull all your best players away and you're that's where it's like dude you're, you're I don't know they're going to be fighting a fifteen front war <laughs> over the next like five years like what the fuck are they going to change about the telecast like that is that is, I just I don't think that's going to I don't think it'll I know be they might twenty three thing but it has to change at some point something has to but change. how many dude how many times have we been saying that for the like fool me sixteen times yeah and um, I just won't be fooled again I, I, guys <laughs> good example this week they come out with the new app on Tuesday the new app is dropping that's it's big been for you it's seemingly been in <laughs> that's production. <laughs> It's it seemingly been in development for the last four years, you know, delayed a billion times. I think the guy heading it has been promoted six times since. I'm, I'm, I am, I'm not, I have no preconceived notions. Let's see how it goes. Gosh, they could have just done this a year ago. We wouldn't be in this mess. They would have kept, they would have kept everybody. Uh, what else is priority here? Let's, let's, let's try to wrap this up here before we hit the two hour mark here. Uh, the, all right. The Alex Fitzpatrick story. 
that uh, Ryan French Monday Q info posted uh, where basically, you know, all sorts of weird shit happened with college golf. I guess the PGA tour, U standings, the top five guys were going to get exemptions through to final stage. One of the, one of the, events that was counting towards it's it's always weird because the the actual amateur events don't count towards pga tour you it's just these college events and pro events that they happen to play and you got some weird code um, stuff that was happening in 2020 and yeah so 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 alex fitzpatrick like he was playing as an individual who is matt fitzpatrick's brother for those who don't know correct and ryan uh, patrick's brother correct. exactly i think he was playing in the merido invitational as a Basically, as an individual, instead of it, like with his Wake Forest team, because the team wasn't playing, I guess at that point because of the COVID regulations, and which also gave him like a bad draw and weird weather or something. Yeah, and so then I don't know. There's like it sounds like there's lawyers involved and all that, and then like in the like the tour because they're well, I know, think the the crux of it was basically like they counted this event when some people thought that they shouldn't count this event, and because they counted this event, it bumped him out of the top five. Yes. And so bumped him out of exemption into final stage. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. And there was also a tidbit in there about like him thinking about not playing in, in like certain NCAA regionals events because he didn't want to ruin his PGA tour U. Which is status. whips of the Aeon Risk Reward Challenge. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, what would Mr. Palmer think? <laughs> exactly. About that? So, you know, the tour in their communications brilliance, you know, no comments it, no comments it. People start poking around. Well, so sorry, I think we yeah. we skipped the important part, which is that Oh, they gave him a. <laughs> he they gave him an exemption yeah, yeah. into final stage, uh, yeah. so he did not earn it. He didn't play second stage, and all of a sudden just showed up. He was on the entry list for final stage. Uh, and then to people which started many asking people around. said, "What the yeah. fuck?" And the tour said, "Essentially, no comment. He will be playing final stage." And everybody that I've talked to, agents, I've talked to other players, I've talked, and like everybody's kind of like, "Yeah, like the the whole explanation that the tour gave, like from comms and from competitions." people it just sucked and like it makes it like like even if it wasn't shady and if it was like hey you know what like we're gonna do right by this guy the rules weren't clear or there was a very extenuating circumstance here like it doesn't sound like they explained it well at all and they're just like yeah you know what fucking deal with it like this this is how it's gonna be no comment okay and you know and it's like it like as the tour is trying to engender more trust and transparency and visibility and get veterans like who are already wary of pga tour you like on you know like in the boat for these elevated events and for just the radical wholesale changes that they're making to the pga tour corn ferry tour ecosystem uh like you would think that like transparency and you know good communication would be like go a long way but evidently they don't it's crazy fucking nuts man I I yeah. told you guys I struggle to get like worked up about any of this when like ninety nine problems out of a hundred are about like approving the entertainment aspect of like I can't like do you know how far down the list of the, the, the uh, somebody getting a, a exemption into the final stage of of court fairy school it goes for like how big their problems are at the top that like I I can't I just can't I cannot find it in myself to get worked up over this but well, it's just crazy that like they they build themselves as like yeah we're like the serious competitive golf landscape over here we're the adults in the room we're serious competition and then like they do shady weird shit like this and then just say deal with it well i think they were that, threatened with lawsuits I, I, too according to the report right so whenever there's lawsuits involved being overly communicative is not usually recommended so i imagine their hands are tied to just be like like fuck this we're in a bad spot here like we're just not going to say anything there's 
hopefully no one notices. Um, I don't know. Like, I really don't know, but I, 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 I just, I can't put this on like the same level as like your, your product's unwatchable. Like, let's, let's talk about that. What have, what have we started there? And that's where I'm kind of like, Hey, I think there's a, there's a very interesting conversation to, to be had probably amongst a smaller group, if I'm being honest, uh, about, you know, the pathway to the PGA tour and nepotism and communications and some of those things. I think there, there is probably an interesting conversation there. Uh, I, I gotta say, I think our fire pit guys treated it like they found 45 <laughs> corpses in Alex Fitzpatrick's basement. The way that story was written, it was about, you know, 1800 words where I feel like it could have been about 300, but it was, it was very well reported, but it was just yes. a little bit too, it's too, like, uh, it was very, very good. Yeah. It was very, very The line about the moral compass <laughs> thing in here was like, are we really equating this to like what's going on morally in the golf world? Is that, is that, is that what's happening? but i I, like i do think it's a good window and like this is how the tour operates on like a competitions and communications but i think this also stems from like them trying to do something that we were all like in support of like all right getting some auto exemptions into from some of these college guys getting the talent straight to the pga tour and like was it maybe not that well thought out probably like do they have it clearly licked on how what scores count and what don't and I think they err on the side of like, hey, we, we kind of maybe messed up a little bit in the scoring. And they're not obviously, I think your comment here is that they didn't admit this, but like if they were to do an honest debrief of it, it's like we don't we don't have like a great ha- like hand around this. Like we're gonna give an extra exemption to one guy based on that. It happens to be Matt Fitzpatrick's brother. Like I think like the the radar goes up. The radar goes up when that's the case, but I think it's like a convenient story to maybe Matt lead on them big time. I just don't know that that's the case, right? I think it's just like, yeah, but like I, I guess that that just comes back down to it. It's like yeah, like then like why don't they just do that? Like just 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 do the obvious thing and be like yeah, you know what? Like we we clearly fucked up. Like. We gave him a spot in, in uh, final stage. I haven't dealt with Fitz a lot. I know you guys have spent more time with him than than I have. Isn't his whole thing just like hard work and like <laughs> meritocracy? I, I I don't know that he's like kicking the goddamn door down trying to like get well, his brother I think there in. Was but maybe something weird with his brother, like with the Walker Cup, not this past time, but the, the like the first time around, and like there was some beef with the you know governmental organization for golf in in the UK. I don't know. It's uh, it's weird. All I'm saying is like this would have been a non-issue if the tour just, but it's like they like they can't help just creating these little fucking bonfires everywhere, and there's there's two or no three of them it. a no week. It. No it's crazy. It. It's like I would say there's there's dozens of bodies in Jay Monahan's basement, but he doesn't have a basement. <laughs> well, maybe the fire fish should get on that. Maybe they need to maybe they need to dig into that. <laughs> Uh, all right, can we please wrap this with this final question here uh, from Darts one four six eight zero six nine one. That is phone number. Uh, why did Max treat Checo the way he did today? Sally, mm. I think you need to address this because you're a massive Max and Red Bull guy. I- I'm Aren't a Checo you? guy. I'd like you to apologize, maybe. So we're on to the Formula One section, which means no more golf. Uh, so what have happened this year, Max Verstappen has won, already won the driver's championship. Red Bull has won the constructor's championship uh, as there's several races still left to go. There's basically nothing left for Max to race for other than like he's had an incredible teammate, Sergio Perez, who has helped him at every stop of the way, anything he's ever been asked to do as a part of the team. Uh, Sergio has done. It helped Max win the title last year. Uh, I mean, Max was probably going to win it no matter what this year, but like when it comes down to it, it's like, 
yeah, you got to do this for, for Max. Sergio does it. Now, Sergio has a chance to finish second in the Drivers' Championship this year. And as the race was finishing, um, Max is directly in front of Sergio and, again, has nothing to race for and is not going to win the race or finish on the podium. This is just strictly for points. Um, and so he has a chance to, like, very minimally, extremely minimally pay back Sergio for all the support he's given. And he gets asked by the team to let Checo pass him just to get a couple extra points, maybe two extra points. And Max just ices them on the radio and does not respond and does not let him pass. It was the most cold-blooded, psychopathic bullshit I think I've ever seen. It's like, it is just a true, true psychopath. I can't, I can't explain You give him an inch, man. You know, you give him an inch, who knows what they're going to ask him to do next week. No, his entire explanation was that already. He's like, <laughs> we've talked about this. We talked about this last night. It's about last summer, clear. since last summer. You will not do this to me. Which I wonder if I don't know if he said anything since then. If he has had any comments, uh, but yeah, that was total bullshit. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not Max, cool with that. Max, don't try to paint me in a corner before I change to get the takeout. TC. All right, I'm not standing for guy. that. Okay, but give me a chance to to tell the story here before you paint me in a corner. What my take's going to be? He's your guy. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta ride for him. I don't think Max would do well at Live. I thought it was sick. I'm in. <laughs> Just a true psychopath. Period. That'll make the yeah. Netflix. I, I think that's a true. Like you know, who who did you think he was? Yeah. Well, you know, of course I stung you. I'm a scorpion. That's what I fucking do. Fair point. All right, now what I'm all gonna, worked what up. What are you gonna do? Stab me? Yeah. This podcast is over. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, thank you. To we need regime for change. Evan Priest for calling in as well. And uh, Solly, congrats on Big thank Tone, you, man. Thank you. Big day Gosh, it you. seems like it was a long time ago already. So <laughs> I'm sure it's taken people all week to get through the end of this episode. But thank you for lasting all the way to the end. We'll see you back here next week. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect a 